podcast in the galaxy. The Easy Easy Show. Hi everyone and welcome back to my podcast. This is the Elise Easy Show. I'm your host, Elise Easy, and today I'm joined by journalist, podcaster, YouTuber, Andrew Gold. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you, how are you doing? Elise Easy, is, is that how you say it? <laughs> it's Elise Yeezy because, no, this is, this is, it's such a stupid story. It's such a stupid story. I was, I was a big Kanye West fan and he has the whole Yeezy thing. And I was trying to think, and I, I thought of this name a good seven years ago when I was a lot younger. So, cause I kind of wanted to do like mm. a, I kind of wanted to do like a parody rapper to begin. This was in my very early twenties right. and you know, that obviously didn't come to fruition. I didn't do anything. So it was like a parody rap name and now it's kind of stuck and I kind of hate it. Oh, I think it's fine. And people liked Kanye West for, for, for a long time. His music's quite good, isn't it? You can be, uh, I mean, if uh, I, I had a really cheesy line came into my head, but you know, I'm not, I don't want it to look like I'm being cheesy or, or, or flirty, but it would, it would, if I was that way inclined, I would be, I would say you, you were that and that a, a Yeezy and now you're a gold digger. Cause I'm got gold's my last name. <laughs> that, cause that's the Kanye West song. Um, so yeah. I thought you were going to say you can separate art from the artist, which, which I know and I do. Um, but people don't online don't really like it when you do separate art from the artist. Mm. They're not that keen on that. So, you know, Roland Bart, the death of the author, uh, that, that concept of, of uh, any, once the author has written it, he's basically died. And, and so it, it is ours to do what, what we want with it, which is basically what teachers do at school with Shakespeare, because like they're just reading, this is what the author meant. It's like, you have no idea, but hey, it's yours. You do, you analyze it. I can't remember. There's, there's some great examples online. Um, you know, when you end up on those, but like, is it BuzzFeed or whatever, the, you know, these silly lists of things uh, of authors who have had their work like dramatically misinterpreted when they were just saying something relatively boring. Um, but actually people have interpreted it as like, he meant when he said uh, cheese, that the yellow of the sun is something. And it's like, no, that was just about cheese, man. That That's all that was. So yeah, that's the death of the author. Yeah, the curtains are blue because they represented the author's depression. Yes, the curtains well, that are would, just blue. Curtain, that's why. Well, yellow was a good one then because because curtains yellow, the yellow wallpaper. Uh, that that's a really famous feminist book from like the 1920s, Charlotte Gilman Perkins, who who the yellow did symbolise her going into some sort of weird depression and, and madness. Uh, and that was back when people used to say, you're mad, we're going to take you to the countryside and you need to get some air because you're suffering from being a woman, which is all the oestrogen and, and that kind of stuff. You're suffering with hysteria here. Have some like yes. bottles of cocaine at the time. This will sort your hysteria yeah. out. Don't say the, that C word. You're going to get your channel in trouble. Really? I never I, see I that's the thing I don't have issues with that because some people are funny with certain words that I don't I, I feel like if you do really long videos if you just put like the naughtier stuff inside the meat of the video the algorithm doesn't care as much ah that's so funny I think it's like once you get caught once you get into a spiral because it catches you it gets more and more sensitive so I got used to it because I I started on YouTube basically by being a co-host of the Sean Atwood show and Sean is like Mr. Keyword he's like like oh not keyword but like little nicknames for things mm. so cocaine would be uh the white stuff uh 
heroin would be i don't know i think he calls it the like the black stuff i'm not even sure uh and he's got all these weird little nicknames he, he won't even say epstein which i think is a bit much <laughs> right? i'll say epstein on my channel he won't say, he'll just say e so he says who killed e we don't know <laughs> it's like you need a whole list of how do you how do you pronounce Elias's? Is it Elias's? Uh, aliases? Aliases. Aliases. I can't pronounce words very well. I don't know. It's some sort of thing in my Me head. Me neither. Thank you. Okay, good. Aliases. You need like a little list of the code words. Kind of like how yeah. apparently, have you ever seen online where it's like the FBI have a list of code words, you know, like hot dogs mean young children. And oh, if you look at the mm -hmm. WikiLeaks Obama emails, oh, he's, he ordered like 20,000 hot dogs. Have you ever been on that part of the internet? <laughs> I didn't know that specific one, but but that is a very culty thing. That's that's like any cult and community, they've got their own set of language. And it's one of the most uh, manipulative things we can do, you know, neuro-linguistic programming to get people to obey us and to be, so whether it's the Nazis, the Stasi uh, or Scientology, they've got like their own words that only they know. And there seems to be no better way to make people feel like we're the special people with this little language we have and everybody on the outside they're the they're you know and even the cults even have words for those people so the jehovah's witnesses will call them the worldly people the scientologists they say they're the the wogs uh w-o-g which i think is also a slur uh in the black community i've heard that that's a, maybe just in britain yeah i think yes in mm. england especially yeah that's yeah that's definitely a slur i can't believe they're saying that yeah well I hope I haven't offended anyone by saying it. It's, it's just it's a Scientology term for people outside of Scientology. Oh, I didn't know that. So mm. here's the thing. You like cults. You interview a lot of cultists mm. or ex-cult members on your channel. What's the attraction for you towards cults? Because I was, I was, you know, doing a bit of research and I've seen that you've done documentaries with the BBC and the documentaries also were mm. about cults. What What is it about them that yeah. attracts you? What is it? Well... I suppose, in a sense, it's a thing that attracts people to actually... I mean, I should clarify that I'm not joining the cults because um, sometimes people think that when I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm really interested in cults. Like, are you in the cults? Um, I think <laughs> the very thing that attracts people to join the cults is what makes me want to talk about them. I, I find it fascinating, this idea... Um, that there is something out there called Scientology. I often talk about Scientology in particular because it's just such a great example and you're less likely to offend people as well because if you talk about Hasidic Judaism, if you talk about um, extreme branches of Christianity or Mormonism, there are going to be people who are a bit offended. Where Scientology, although it claims it has millions of people in it, has probably about 30,000 members today, which is you know significantly lower than both of our YouTube followings. So they're not that powerful or, or anything, but they act like they are and they have a lot of money and they bankrupt families and tear them apart. So there's a really serious side of it as well. And it's just like, well, I guess if I'm going back to when I started the BBC stuff, so that was only one documentary I made for them. I made a few for HBO, like short documentaries. For the BBC, it was one about an exorcist and it was this very culty, churchy place. I grew up as a, a secular Jew, Jewish person, uh, and we went to like synagogue twice a year. So it was secular, but we had to go for like the high holy days, which is, uh, you know, high holy days, but it's like, um, what is it? Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's like mm -hmm. the new year or whatever it is. And I just hated every second of it. I hated every second of every moment of that. On Sundays, I had to go to a Hebrew school. I had to learn how to read Hebrew. And I had a bar mitzvah when I was 13. And like, you're made as a 13 year old 
nervous, you know, going through puberty, spots everywhere, acne and all that stuff, to stand up in a hall full of like hundreds of people who you, half of them you know, half you don't, and read from this strange ancient text. And I just think it's just such a humiliating experience. But a lot of people love that stuff. It's part of the whole community. It's a very communal aspect. People like that kind of thing. So I was interested from the age of like 13 when I would look around and I remember this moment where I was talking or whatever in the synagogue, like making a joke with a friend. And another kid like my age turned and shushed me. And he said, you know, shush, show some respect. The rabbi is talking. And I was 12, I guess, or 13. And I thought, respect, respect for what? Why does this man in a funny outfit get my respect? Mm. Um, and it was a weird thing. So that got me thinking about the hierarchies of it all and this how willing we are as humans to go into groups and be separated into different hierarchies. Here's the bottom people, here's the top people. And the bottom people have to be very, you know, uh, show deference to the top people. And secrets start to happen and people at the top don't get exposed for the wrongdoings that they do. And all of that stuff started to just absolutely fascinate me. And that's why I think I got into cults. Did you grow up in London? Yeah, yeah. What was that like growing up as Jewish in London? Hmm. Well, uh, there's a lot of, well, not a lot. I think like 1% of London are, are Jews. I might be wrong about that. But it's still, compared to most places in the world, it's it's still a high proportion of people. So uh, we were northwest London, which is where most Jews now live. Mm. It used to be more like the East End when it was, uh, which is sort of the path many immigrants take um my great-grandparents moved over to the UK. We don't even know anything about them before that because everything gets erased. Mm. They become sort of, they want to they settle in. They want to be part of the culture. They don't want people referring to back then and the old country and stuff like that. So often you just lose all family history. So as far as I know, my family history just started in like 1901 and they moved to Britain, you know, utter abject, abject poverty as, as many immigrants are at that stage mm. and... Uh, they tended to start in the East End, which which was back then. If you read books about that back back then, it was just like awful. I mean, the People of the Abyss by Jack London is a great book about London, London's East End back then. Horrible. But gradually over the generations, they sort of moved northwest, and it's quite leafy and nice, and not all nice, not all, but not all bad. It's it's a nice part of London, and I uh, went to a private school because my dad was able to send me to one. He was very proud. And there is a real difference, though, when I guess there was a small percentage of, of Jewish kids at this school, um, which was mostly, I guess, Christians. It was a Christian school, Church of England and all that stuff. Uh, but some of us were Jewish. And the interesting differences were that the Jews tended to be nouveau riche, whereas a lot of the Christians and stuff were like old old fashioned, you know, wearing the straw hats or the, they didn't wear straw hats where I was. Sometimes they did, though. And they were playing croquet and cricket and rugby. And these were all sports that me and the other Jewish kids were like, what the, what is this? This is like a whole different world for us, because our parents usually didn't grow up showing us like cricket and all of these really posh old English sports. We all played football. Uh, but other than that, it was, you know, everyone's just everyone's just fine, really. It was quite it was quite nice. It sounds a bit like the difference between old wealth and new wealth, you know? With the with the crew. What's that? Well, like no old wealth. You know, like how a wealth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You know how like people with old wealth that. act, and then like how the newer people act. <laughs> That's what exactly. That was like. it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Many, many, like you know, as with any immigrants, it, it, you see it in Asian communities, Greek communities, Jewish communities. There's often this fixation on uh, business. Of course, you get like doctors and academics, and I mean, Jewish people have been known over the over the decades to be academics and things like that, but. Uh, 
I don't know, the, the friends I had, our parents didn't really read many books mm. and things. They, you didn't like wake up and they were reading Shakespeare or whatever, like not in a million years. They didn't go to university. They often left school when they were 15 or 16 and got into business and stuff like that. So there was the, again, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's that uh, great Gatsby, old wealth, new wealth kind of thing where we'd be, yeah, I'd be, I had really close friends of mine, but they just did better academically. They were already they knew about the different books and authors and again cricket and rugby and all of those things and the rest of us were like oh like some of the jewish guys and the asian guys like we don't we don't know this world but you learn and you get into it and and it it was it was fine really yeah nice it's strange because you do like you said about business you get those stereotypes of jewish people media banking where on earth does that come from do you have, do you have any idea about that oh it, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that's there's loads of reasons for that. Um, and there's some truth in it. I mean, there's truth in m many stereotypes, you know. Uh, it started because the Jews were like the other back in like, uh, I don't know, hundreds of years ago. And Jews were able to borrow and lend money. This wasn't allowed in the Christian uh, values or whatever it might be, in the doctrine. So they were allowed to be doing those kinds of things. And that's where you get... Um, Shakespeare, I've forgotten his name now. What's the Shakespearean Jewish guy? If you cut me, don't do I not bleed? Shakespeare Jewish. I'm just writing it. I've no idea. Uh, Shylock, of course. It was Shylock, and you know, annoy, frustratingly, people at university and stuff they used to call me Shylock, which wasn't very nice. Shylock's a he's quite a horrible character in Shakespeare. But there is that famous line: "If you cut me, do I not bleed?" I think I probably said it wrong, but it's something like that. I'm human, yeah. despite what you will think. So even though people now consider it to be a bit of an anti-Semitic portrayal of a character um, by Shakespeare, it's also quite amazing how open-minded Shakespeare was to be able to see this other person as um, human. I bleed, I'm the same as you. But that's when a lot of it started. And then I think any minority who... You, you grow up with a sense of persecution, whether that's warranted or not, whether that's right or not, you, f you feel like there is one and that's the point. So you do all you can as a minority to build up your group, your, which, which means your wealth, your assets, your community, everything you can so that it is less easy for somebody else to come in and wipe you out. Mm. So they were doing that before the Holocaust and before the Nazi regime because they, so many things had happened before. It's, it's also one of those things when you happen to be from the specific thing as I am, you start to notice it more. Um, so everywhere I go, it's like, oh, that's a place where Jews were massacred. And it's like, okay, God, another one and another one. So it's happened so many times just because they're the other thing, the minority. Yeah. That's, and, and they were said to have killed Jesus as well. So that didn't help. Um, so that's... A big part of it. And then obviously, when the Nazis came, it made no difference at all. Um, the, the idea was have as much as you can and be strong and whatever. It made no difference. After the Nazis, a lot of Jews then got into Hollywood, which was a working class job at the time. That's what oh. people mistake a lot of the time. The Jews were very left wing, typically. Of course, you'd never want to say any group of people is all one way or another. Sure. There was there's a huge disparity in all of them. Uh, but they were very left wing and they were communists. And basic communist and communism in America w was often used as a code word, like we were talking about before, for Jews. Um, they were sort of the same thing. Uh, so the McCarthy era in America, where they were sort of hunting communists, they were also really uh, hunting Jews. And that meant a lot of Hollywood writers who were earning like close to minimum wage. These were like, it was an impoverished thing at the very beginning. And then as it went on, you know, their kids and their kids, kids and so on, you do get uh, some Jewish people in Hollywood. 
in stereotypes in 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 groups and minorities and all these kinds of things you do get culture which uh depends on the people before you and so on you start to act there are certain ways that some jewish people act there are certain ways that some indian or asian people act and so on like we that that that's just a fact that i think we try to ignore because we're scared that people are going to take that and then make all the bad stereotypes mm. and prejudge an individual based on those things which we mustn't do because everybody is so different mm. the other thing with the money is simply that um I've been talking a long, a long, long talking about this. The other thing with the money is just that it, it has always been the one thing that you want to say about your enemies. And the reason for that is because everybody is obsessed with money. Mm. So the idea that somebody else is obsessed with money, that's the best way to, to rise up and uh, annoy the rest of your tribe and say, those people just want money and they're going to steal yours. That's what the Nazis, that's what it was about. Uh, I don't believe that people do bad things because they're evil. Uh, I know people disagree with me about this on YouTube all the time. I think it's because they're scared. Mm -hmm. And the Nazis were told a story, which was that the Jews were going to take all of their money. Um, I mean, the truth is the opposite. The Jews were helping to, to help. They were helping the economy, if anything. But their idea was so they shut down all of Jewish businesses. It was the first things that they did. Shut down the businesses, took away the shops and things that all the Jews had, and that made the economy even worse which then just made them even angrier. Like, oh, you see, they're, they're making it even worse for us. And it's the fear mm. that there's a group of people stealing your money. So if you type into Google, like, these people are stingy or these people are frugal with money or whatever, it's like, it comes up with like Scottish, Irish, Belgian, Dutch, uh, Americans are said to be like that with their money. So it's just the easiest thing to say about your enemy because actually everybody's obsessed with money. I mean, America was founded on the idea of the, what the, at least in the 20th century of the American dream, this idea of uh, anybody can come in and, and make loads of money and what a dream that is. Mm. So it seems like when it's your people doing it, fantastic. But if you want to label an insult at a minority, it's like they're the ones who want the money. But everyone does. I was watching recently this documentary about world war ii and propaganda propaganda why'd i say that propaganda propaganda in nazi germany i had a proper i had a propaganda at this propaganda person, having a look at them. ridiculous it was about <laughs> uh yeah propaganda in nazi germany about jewish people specifically and they showed the real footage and it was obviously it was narrated in german there were subtitles but it was phrased as though Jewish people were literal parasites from an alien species saying that they they infiltrate the lower levels of classes and then they move on up by mim mimicking the people around them. And, and I was gobsmacked. I was actually gobsmacked because I was thinking if you were German during this time period and you're watching this on TV, they had TV in the 40s, didn't they? Yeah, you're watching this on TV. You don't have mm. Wikipedia. You don't have other sources of information. Um, I'm assuming people back then were very religious and scared. So the idea of like demonic sort of almost shapeshifters might seem a bit more reasonable to someone in the 40s or the 30s. I was just, I was blown away by it. Like it, I was really yeah, well, speechless for once. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, they were called Jews Untermenschen. It wasn't just Jews, of course. Yeah. It was uh, all sorts of different people, travelers, uh, disabled people, gay people. Uh, Untermenschen, like less than human, basically, and the, the Germans were the Übermenschen. I learned German afterwards because I spent years as a child watching these like Nazi films and Schindler's List and all these things. And I just thought, what a, what a strange thing it might be to learn that language and actually understand what they're saying when like Hitler's got his hand up and he's shouting all this mad stuff. Mm. Like, 
you know, I've got to, I got to know what they're saying. A, a weird part of that that I, did, that I didn't expect, an unexpected side effect of learning German, was that years later when I've been interviewing Hasidic Jewish people, um, and I'm not a fan of Hasidic Judaism, by the way. It's, it's, I think it's an extreme cult. I get in a lot of trouble for saying it, but I really do think that. But when I've interviewed them, they actually they speak Yiddish. And that's one of the weirdest things in the world, actually, because they grow up in London or Brooklyn often and some other parts of the world. Uh, I'm t these are the guys, if you don't know Hasidic Jews, they're the guys with the hats and mm. the curly hair and stuff like that. And, and it's not it's not a cult in the way that Scientology is. And there are some beautiful aspects to the community. And I, I should say that. And I, I have to say it because people go so crazy at me. But there are some what I would consider some very, very worrying aspects to the community. Um, but they speak Yiddish and they often don't speak English. So it means when they're kicked out of the community or whatever, when they leave, when they're 18 or 20, they like don't want to be in there anymore. They leave. That's hard enough if you leave Scientology. I was speaking to someone just the other day who left Scientology at like 30 years old. And suddenly you've like, where is every? I don't know what to do with my life. I've just been kicked out. This is awful. It's a horrible feeling. You don't get to speak to your family again. Now, these like Hasidic Jewish people, I spoke to a guy recently, he's 18 years old, or he was, he was 20, but he's 18 when he left. Doesn't he, didn't even speak the language in his own country. So you've grown up in the country and you don't even speak English. What do you do then? You've got no education. You've got no anything. So really, really bizarre thing. But just going back to what you're saying about the the, the the language that they use to describe people, that still happens today mm. uh, about all different kinds of minorities or people. There are loads of tests done on children that I find really interesting where you put children like you're in the red team, you're in the blue team, and you can ask the children on the red team, like, what do you think of that guy in the blue team? And they automatically dehumanize that kid or automatically lower their uh, valuation of that child. And it's just so interesting how that is just ingrained in humans to see the other as worse than us. And then you get to know them. And then you're like, oh, you know what? They're actually just like me. They're human. So, yeah. That's what I find so interesting about cults and cult-like mentalities, because I speak about this on my podcast with one of my YouTuber friends, Rachel. We were, she likes learning about cults too. And we were discussing this at length. And I have the theory that maybe humans just naturally like being within cult-like community, well, not cult-like communities, but communities that can turn extreme and cultish. Because I think, it's a bit of a rogue example, but I think uh, bees, to my knowledge, have a more communist bee-structured society, right? <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I, just, I just wonder, where does that come from? Does it come from when we were just in our little tribes and fear of the other and other tribes would have prevented us from getting diseases from those tribes does it does it come from like thousands of years ago what do you think i mean you've met a lot of cults yeah i think that evolutionary biology is fascinating and we it's we've always got to speculate a little bit when we talk about that because no one really knows but we like to imagine oh we would have had uh we got along in groups humans like monkeys are a sociable creature uh, and it, we had social cohesion so humans grew uh, I guess there were like 40 of us initially in the tribes mm. or 40 or 60 or something and we used to bond socially with grooming as in like uh, cleaning one another's hair and those kinds of things but as we grew to a size uh, of like 140 and this this is all according to an anthropologist called Dunbar who, who believes this stuff we grew to like 140 uh, and it was too large and too time consuming to continue grooming like that 
So what we what held us together from that point was gossip. I so say this. Gossip, that's why I, I say that all the time. <laughs> I say gossip is an evolutionary like we've evolved to gossip because it's a way of trusting each other and learning who is untrustworthy. And that's why we love drama and gossip. Yeah. That's my that's excuse. It. That's it. And that's that's what brings us together. I've got a book out next April about uh, the psychology of secrecy and what, like, why we keep secrets, who we tell our secrets to. And so much of that is wrapped up around our evolutionary biology and how we got closer together and all these kinds of things. But while that's going on, as you say, there are other tribes that we don't know. We don't meet them. We don't know what they're up to. And it would make sense to avoid them because they're going to be carrying all kinds of diseases and things. That So even if they don't want to kill us, which they might, and steal all of our stuff, they might just give us diseases. Like when the, the Spanish went to uh, South America, just wiped the whole continent out or half the continent out with, with diseases and things. So uh, it made sense to avoid people and to have an evolutionary drive to avoid those people. So I think that's part of what's really going on i think that's why we've we've grown to just be so wary of anyone who is in a slightly different group to to us and and maybe it's also because we don't just have a go at other groups we also go crazy at our own group when they've got a slightly different opinion mm. and i wonder if that's like if you're going around as a bunch of hunter gatherers and you're trying to like this is the way we should go and some people are at the back going well i don't know about that you know that's not going to help at all and it's not going to help you survive so it, it helps for those people at the front to just turn around and kill those guys or go crazy at them and be really like no you're out and then they can continue and survive See, I wonder sometimes because our physiology is has remained kind of unchanged for, you know, the past like 20, 30, 60,000 years or however long it's been, you know, the fact that my body hasn't caught up to the fact that I can go to the shops, buy chocolate, eat chocolate, I'll get fat, but I still have those urges to go buy <laughs> sugar and fat because they were, well, scarce full 100,000 years ago. I wonder sometimes the effect of the internet on our brains and whether like because the internet is globalized if i wanted to i could talk to someone in south korea right now that's a lot for these essentially monkey brains to deal with and i wonder if the internet and technology evolved too quickly for like our archaic bodies to catch up with um and where we go from there because i just think people are always going to argue until we've evolved to get on a bit better yeah, I think it like that chocolate thing is apparently because uh, stuff like berries were the best form of long sustenance. Mm. So if if you knew you might not find anything else again, you better eat as many berries as possible. And that's the cl the closest thing we now have is like chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate's like super berries. It's like berries on speed. It's like the best berries ever. Um, I love chocolate. I I get so into the chocolate. <laughs> so yeah, I know what you mean with the internet, and they've done tests on. Um, I believe this was just anecdotal, so I don't know, but this was like a mouse or a rat or whatever. They've done these on mouse and mice and rats where in, they, they hook their brains up to things and they can just like push a button with their little mice fingers. I don't know what mice have on their hands, fingers probably. Uh, if they push that button, it gives a direct shot of dopamine straight to the brain. So dopamine is basically what makes, you know, you eat because it gives you a nice feeling. That nice feeling is the dopamine receptors being triggered and all of those kinds of things so the mice or rats i don't know what it was would forego that food because every time they touch the button they're getting the pleasure anyway so why why touch the, the food would give them pleasure but this is giving them even more pleasure and they died 
of starvation because they never just turned and ate the food because they just got so addicted just touching this button all the time. They just wanted pleasure. And I think that can be an issue with internet, with us having like everything at our disposal. I don't know if it's as worrying as some people suggest, like mm. the social media is the doom of mankind and all of these things. But uh, I do think there probably are more fulfilling things that we can be doing and spending our time doing. And instead, I mean, I know I'm up at like 3 a.m., like just just messing about, just nothing, just news of football rubbish. And it's giving me some sort of dopamine stuff. But really, I'd, I'd do better long term by not having that dopamine hit and just relaxing and sleeping more and being brighter and having a better day. It's hard, even when you're very aware of the kind of dopamine trap that social media gives you. I'm still up at 3 a.m. refreshing my TikTok, doing the endless scroll. And even though I'm self-aware and I know exactly why my brain's doing it and why it likes it, and ultimately is fruitless, it's pointless, I still get caught in the trap. And I wonder if... I think... I, I don't think it's total doom and gloom I, I i really do believe that the doom and gloom already existed but the internet helps facilitate the doom and gloom even quicker into your brain it's not like exactly the healthiest thing for you but i don't think it's the worst thing ever you know a lot of jobs have been created because of the internet after all but i think maybe yeah. they should start teaching internet safety in school as like silly as like you know childish as that kind of sounds I, I feel like because you get you're now getting generations of like little kids growing up and they're on their ipads and they know how to like yeah. use ipads and it's fascinating um my boyfriend's got a three-year-old niece and she knows how to like get coco melon up on the on your phone to watch netflix and stuff and it's weird to see that's it is a weird thing and i also um I spent two years in Germany hanging around with, maybe it's the one word I can't probably say on your on your channel. I don't know how careful you, you are, but the P word, like they sound like PDF files. Uh, these people who have attractions for those who are much You were hanging around with them? I, well, I had two years. Well, we were living in Germany to learn German. I just moved, met my fiance's Argentinian mm. and we moved from Argentina. I'd been there for six years to Germany. And I was looking for like what my next documentary would be, what my next, you know, the more extreme and controversial, the better. Sure, yeah. And I was looking at, you know, you're in Germany. You're like, okay, there's Nazi stuff, neo-Nazis and there's- It's been done. Um, communists. Yeah, yeah, well, that was it. That was exactly it. Like, ah, okay, more of Old that. News. And I'm a Jew interviewing a Nazi. How great. Yeah, it was just done. And then I realized they have this thing called kind theater verden, which means don't be an offender. I was seeing it all over the train, like the tube, uh, metro, all over, like posters of it and stuff. And I was like, what? what's all this? And it's basically, it's the, at that time anyway, it was the world's only therapy for those people mm. uh, that never reports them to authorities. So they can go in and the, the clinicians don't then like give them away to police, no matter what they've said. Uh, they can't even give them away to police because they never take their real names, their identities, their address, their phone number, anything like that. And one of the ways they get these people is that these people download what they think is that bad stuff mm -hmm. of children. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's a fake one that the clinic has put in there. And there's, there's no like video. Instead, it just pops up saying, you know, do you need help? come to this place you don't you shouldn't be looking at this stuff you know and in they try and make it in not a very blaming way because no one's going to come if they feel blamed and i just thought that's the most fascinating thing i've ever heard in my life mm. that they that this clinic does that um and the bad side of it is that they these clinicians are interviewing or, or doing therapy with these men mostly men who are potentially 
a huge threat and then letting them out onto the streets potentially to offend again. Mm -hmm. Well, they might not have offended even before, but, you know, they might go and offend a, a child and those doctors like let them go and do it. That's a really bad thing. And the good side of it, though, is that, well, yeah, but they never would have gotten to do the therapy on those people in the first place if they didn't have this kind of we don't report anyone kind of thing. And they believe that the doctors that they are able to stop some of these people from offending. And if they can even stop one or two, you know, that's that's saving some children's lives. And I can't think of a more noble pursuit. I've heard before of um, people, I think it was a Vice article or maybe even a Vice documentary, uh, people wanting medical help for if they have these thoughts of children but haven't offended. What are your, th mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's the thing. So what they what they would get then at this clinic, so the, the medical help doesn't help, as in medical medical, it doesn't really do that much chemical castration. Mm. Uh, it makes them into weird sort of people, shells shells of men. I've met a few of those. They just sort of go, like they look like they're patients in the last months of their lives, you know, cancer patients and things like that. Wow. That's, that's how they, they look, unfortunately. Um, they don't look well. But it, it there isn't actually any evidence that the chemical castration takes away their urges or makes them any less likely to offend they did do physical castration i think that's now banned but i'm pretty sure that was in the czech republic was like the last place to still do it like 10 years ago or something i'm not exactly sure about that um obviously that that's pretty effective physical castration i mean you, you know that's that's okay but can you do that to humans okay a lot of people watching would think yes we should do it to them but it's different for us feeling we should do it to them and actual like trained clinicians and police officers and whatever doing these things to you know removing body parts and so on mm. um so that's all just a really weird thing what what you get at the the clinic so you get different kinds of these people you get those who are always going to offend anyway you can't do much about them. They might not. They might as well not go to the therapy because they're never going to change. And they're often on the psych psychopathic spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, they they might be psychopath. They don't care about kids. They will do what. They, in fact, they're not going to turn up at the clinic. Yeah. So those guys, as a cross section of these people, those guys are out. Then you've got the guys who would never offend and are very very comfortable with that. Um, and they just say, well, I'm okay. I don't. And I met some who have told me that. Whether I entirely believe them or not, I don't know. But that's what they've told me. They seem very comfortable and don't need the therapy. There's another one as well. There's another subsection who go to the therapy who don't actually have the the attraction, but they worry that they might have it. And hmm. these are this is called POCD. The P standing for that word you can't say on YouTube. But then obsessive compulsive disorder. The next bit. They have intrusive thoughts and they tell themselves that they do these bad things. So the clinic the clinic has to sort of speak to them and realize you you don't actually have this attraction. Like you're you're wasting our time here. Can you go? The last batch are the most important or the only really important one. And these are the guys who uh, are, are good, well-meaning people who have this, you can call it an attraction, an illness, a condition, a, a disgusting whatever, whatever you want to call it. I don't, it doesn't really matter. They have it. That's the point. Mm -hmm. um, and they want to do well. They want to do good. But this is the thing about cults and things. You know, you, you get misled by others in the cult and you start to believe that it might be okay to have any guy, any kind of uh, physical engagement with, with children and they go to the therapy and that is the main, you know, that's what the therapy works on. It's those guys. And it's telling them, telling them like, look, you're a good guy. Aren't you? You know, you're a good person. You do nice things. You've got to realize 
here are some examples of like people when they were kids, this happened to them. It's the worst thing that can happen to them. And they have to really just make those guys uh, forget their cognitive biases. Mm -hmm. Because what tends to happen otherwise is we find that group, that demographic, and we say, you're all monsters, you're a monster. And, and maybe they are monsters. I, I don't want people in the comments going, oh, you don't think they're monsters? Maybe they are. It, it, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't care because the, the fact is, and it's not just with these people, we have it with all sorts of criminals. And if you tell people, you're bad, you're bad, they then go to the dark corners of the internet because they just need to find someone who will love them. And that's other people like them and people who have horrible, horrible desires who tell them, no, no, it happened to me when I was a kid and I was fine. They all tell mm -hmm. each other that. And then they go and do what they do to children and they ruin and end lives. Yeah. So to me, I was convinced after some time that the clinic must be doing some good work. We don't like the idea of like saying to somebody with these horrible desires, please come, come into a nice therapy, sit down. Can we talk? We don't like that idea. But the alternative is them going to the dark corners and doing awful things to kids. And I much prefer the first one. Speaking of horrible dark corners of the internet, did you see on Twitter that um, there were some people who said that we should rename the P word to maps, minor attractive persons? Yes. What, do you, uh, what do you think about that? I think Twitter is a circus, to be honest, but that's why I don't use it. But. Well, it is, it is. You know, it's, it's, that's a, I, I, I got in trouble one time with them, right? So I, I was, I spent two years. It's not an easy thing as a journalist. Firstly, being around people with those desires because yeah. you don't, you know, it, it, it's scary. It's really scary. And when I met one or two of them, my heart was in my mouth. It was really, and, and some of them said some really disturbing things, even though they thought they weren't. They thought they were like showing a journalist their good side. And it was like, oh my God, man, you shouldn't have said that. So, um, that's really, really difficult. But it took two years and I had to gain trust. It's the only way you can get into a community like that. It's That's probably the hardest community as a journalist to get into, especially like women. There are there are women with that condition as well that I managed to meet and go and like spend the day with. And that was very, very difficult as well. Um, I got into trouble with them because when there was a rumor, which, which now continues actually, uh, that Madeleine McCann um, had been, you know, whatever, by this guy called Christian Bruckner. Um, that all came out and it was a big story and I was in Germany and I thought, okay, well, I want to find out more about this. And I had this whole forum of these people mm. and they knew I was a journalist. I was honest from the start because I just didn't want any misunderstandings. And I was like, I'm a journalist. I'm actually not even German. I'm, I'm from another country and I'm here and I want to talk to you guys about what you're going through and I want to understand. Um, anyway, so when this happened with Christian Bruckner, I put a message up on that forum and I said, Does, do any of you guys know the P word, Christian Bruckner, who's been you know, accused of taking Madeleine McCann? I'd love to be put in touch with him and to see what the truth is and investigate this story. Um, and then I forgot about it because I'm doing like 50 things at a time. You know, like I'm sure you are as well as YouTube and stuff. We've got like a million things to do. Yeah. So I'm just like, uh, okay, next thing. And like three days later, I was like, oh, I forgot about the Christian Bruckner thing. I go on the forum and I've got like a billion replies to my comment, like all incensed, really angry at me. And they're angry because the, I called Christian Bruckner uh, the P word, which they are. Mm -hmm. And they say he's a P criminal. Like it's a difference. It's a, like it would rhyme with Mido, Mido criminal. Mido criminal. Or, or <laughs> Cido criminal. Yeah, that's what they call. They're like, that's what he is. Whereas we are Mido criminal files um sure. 
And I was just like, my mind blown. I was like, okay, this is a different, and you guys are really offended because I put him in a bracket with you guys because they see him as like a brutal psychopath and they see themselves as something different. That's where the MAP or maps or whatever came from, mine out of chance of us. And I, I, I see why that is. Um, they're trying to, they, they want to make a, a delineation between those of them that offend and those of them who don't. And I do understand why that's pretty important, right? Because we do, we do want to encourage those guys who have that inclination, we do want to encourage them to not offend. We do want to say to you, like, hey, you're not the same as those guys who offend and you never will be and you mustn't be. I, I want to tell those guys that. And so if there is another word for it, but the problem is when you do use a word like that, this sort of clinical sterile MAP word, it can look like it's like a, a, a call to arms to do the things they're doing and to actually do things to the kid. And it's like, it's like it's, we're saying it's acceptable. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is there to, to make a clear delineation between those who offend and those who don't, but without using a word or a term that will make it look like, oh, they're just doing a thing. Because it's, it's like, no, this is a serious, horrible disorder, unfortunately. So yeah, I don't know what the answer is there. Yeah, because that's the argument against it, that it normalizes the behavior somehow. Because I've seen mainly conspiracy theorists argue that society is trying, attempting to normalize people being attracted to children, which I don't think so, because now with the internet and, you know, in a post-Me Too era, I feel like talk of imbalance in power structures in relationships is more common than ever before, because I never had these discussions with people when I was a teenager about how, hey, if a famous man who's like twice your age is interested in you and like you're technically legal, um, that's not okay. We never had those discussions knocking around when I was younger. There's a... I'm not going to say who it is because, well, there's someone who, when they were 34, they dated Pixie Geldof, who was 16 at the time. And I remember that because I think I was around 14 or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's really yeah. cool because I liked that 34-year-old. And now that I'm older, you can see it for what it is, which is crazy, right? It's crazy. She was doing her GCSEs and he was in a very popular TV show that, you know, I love. Um so it's it's funny I, fi I find sometimes that the conspiracy theorists try and argue society's going one way but for me and my friends we have these talks more than ever you know even even if you're yeah. 30 and you're dating another 30 year old if they are insanely wealthy or insanely powerful in some way there's the power imbalance you know yeah, I know. I totally agree. What What do you think? And I'm not saying I disagree with you, actually. But what do you think the reason is for not wanting to say this uh, long haired comedian's name? It's not the one who's in trouble in the news right now. It's a it's a no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so it's not him who I used to like until earlier this year, but I won't get into it. Um, mm. I don't I don't know why because I, oh, I don't know why. I feel uncomfortable, even though even though people people will absolutely know who I'm talking about. I mean, he's on a baking show that people like. Yeah, did, uh, it, I don't know. I did feel she kill her? Did she kill herself? Did she die in Pixie? That was Peaches. She, um, I think she, uh, I think she overdosed from heroin. So sad. Yeah, awful. So sad. So sad. Well, yeah, this is it. Well, you know, okay, we don't have to talk about um, that very mighty man that you discussed, <laughs> um, but. 
we can, and I, and I do understand that as well. It's so complicated, isn't it? Because it's it is a, it was a different time, and I know different time is not an excuse for what was done. It's not because whenever I, even when I say that after, I'm so we've been on YouTube a long time now, haven't we? And I I know that everything I say will be deliberately misinterpreted. Sure, yeah. But I'm not saying it's okay because it was a different time. But I am saying that there are people who grow up grew up, and we could, I mean Russell Brand as well, who I've given a hard time. But it is true that he grew up in a time where he was like applauded and egged on to do a lot of what he did. That's not to say it was okay, but it's just to say humans are complicated. I think he's got a lot of issues. I mean, I saw a video of him the other day talking to his dad. Have you ever seen that? He has a boxing match with his dad. That was because I was the I was the biggest like Russell Brand fan for a long time oh. since the age of like 13, 14, you know, um, watching his really rude stand ups talking about oral sex at the early whatever <laughs> that that's that's on me for buying the DVD. Um, yeah, that was his. It was called R.E. Brand. And those were like some of his earliest shows. I think he was still on heroin when he was doing those. He had a boxing match with his dad. Um, he yeah. he tossed off a man in a toilet, and he was on he he was on heroin himself during those times. And I think at the time he had producers egging him on to do that kind of stuff. I saw a clip of I saw a clip, and it's young Russell Brand, and he's like really skinny because of the heroin and whatnot, and he. Mm-hmm pisses himself in the middle of the street and someone walks by and goes you're fucking disgusted and he's just like ah oh. and it's it's weird it's weird looking back but i feel like his behavior with the son's top shagger of the year i feel like that is separate and shouldn't be conflated with the abuse allegations um because have you seen the documentary yet uh the channel four dispatches one yeah, yeah. um i'm just gonna say it because the I feel like the abuse allegations, yeah, they shouldn't have been mixed in with the oh he was also inappropriate to work with, you know, because I I really feel not for me personally it didn't cheapen it, but I've spoken to people in my personal life who felt that that cheapened the serious allegations, you know, because there was a culture of men being obnoxious and as a like you know young woman growing up in that culture we were encouraged to be a bit more ladette because if you weren't like more like the lads then you were just a prude um and you were maybe like ostracized a little bit for that it was a weird it was a weird culture to grow up in yeah yeah no i know what you mean and i know i know what you mean with the documentary i'm completely torn on that i am so i've never been more torn on anything than whether channel 4 should have shown those extra bits which were not illegal but they were still i mean you were talking about it before about power imbalances Mm. they were extraordinary power imbalances but do we care and this is one of the things as well that i think we struggle with firstly we struggle with uncertainty that's why people join cults right we we cannot bear it it's why people have conspiracy theories as well because like okay, it's scary to think that there are a bunch of people who like run everything and they're puppet masters and things like that. But it's even scarier to think that actually nobody knows what they're doing. It's and chaos. We don't, we're just meaningless. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> chaos. Like it's, a nice, like it's a nice thought for people to think, oh, a big illness has happened. It was because of Bill Gates and la, la, la. And I, maybe that, maybe, I don't know enough. Maybe that's true, right? I'm, I'm not saying whether that's true or not. What I'm saying is it's even scarier that no one saw it coming Although, although Bill Gates did see it, he did talk about it coming. But, but the idea that no one saw it coming, no one knew what to do, and that could have been potentially the end of us. We might end like that if there's a much more uh, potent virus one day, and we don't know what to do. And you know, the people that we look up to, the big presidents and the prime ministers and the leaders, they're just 
idiots who go to the toilet like the rest of us and they're not all scheming like whatever and it's not just that your life isn't as good as you wanted it to be because they're all scheming and out to get you it's because they're a bunch of plonkers who don't know what they're doing there's eight billion people in the world it is impossible for all eight billion to be governed in such a way that each individual has a happy and meaningful life unfortunately at the moment and we need to work towards a, a way that that is possible so the point being we don't like uncertainty and with the russell brand thing it's like you people are feeling that thing of like i like him i like him and i don't oh so he didn't do these things and i said to some of my viewers like look you know what is being lost here is that you're allowed to think he did these bad things to to admit that he may have done the r word which mm -hmm. do you say that on your channel yeah just not too much i think is okay not like, too much yeah. but just call it, okay. call it a well, sexual assault Okay, yeah, so we, or SA, as we say, yeah. you know, SA, to, to these four accusers, mm -hmm. that it might be possible. There might be many, many more. And you have a choice, everybody watching this at home, you're still allowed to like him. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if somebody at home still likes uh, an anti-Semite, a homophobe, uh, someone who's done. And I think as a society, we get so judgmental, like that person still likes a person who did a bad thing. And I just think we get too caught up on that. Humans at home don't act the same way as they do in the street and on Instagram. And on Instagram, everybody is like, look how wonderful my views are. I did a survey for my book about secrets, uh, asking loads of them different questions. And one of them was, do you ever post political statements that you don't actually think mm. uh, because you think it will do well with your community? And like 30% said they do this regularly. Like, that's mad. Yeah that people do that. So the fact is, we are not as empathetic as we like to think. I mean, we are, we have empathy for those around us, but sometimes we still like a person who did horrific things. And I think it's better to just be like, you know what? I don't really care. I'm still going to listen to Michael Jackson or I'm still going to watch the Bill Cosby show. I don't care. I think that's better than to make yourself have to get into this mental gymnastics of a place of being like, he couldn't possibly have done it. It's all everyone against him and all these things. That's that's just what I, I, I don't know. People are going to be upset about that, I think. But I don't know. No, but it's well, it's true. It, it's just true. We're not these like moral paragons of virtue that everyone acts like because no. everyone does act a certain way online and then it, it well, it's funny because like so i have friends in the stand-up comedy circuit i've tried to do a little bit of it myself and i like to go to a lot of stand-up comedy nights and it's funny because the reaction sometimes you remember when um the other what last year i think jimmy carr he mm. got into trouble because he had his dark materials on Netflix and people who weren't the intended target audience of it got offended um, and made yeah. it an entire Twitter campaign and all the news outlets were reporting on it. And yet I was going through Twitter at the time and I was thinking, this is not sure this tweet has a thousand likes, but there's 8 billion people on earth. There's 66 million people <laughs> in the UK. There's millions of Jimmy Carr fans. Um, and people act a certain way online and then and yet when you go to stand up comedy nights like i do people love edgy humor people love dark jokes people love i don't know if i could say it but people do like terror tragedy jokes you hear them all the time at stand up comedy nights so it's funny the disconnect between the online world where everyone's trying to look perfect and that's why like in my main channel videos i do try to make an effort of being like I'm not perfect. I've done some fucked up things. I've, hang, I've hung around with awful fucked up people. Um, I've been involved in stupid things. I used to be a, like a cokehead. 
but that's mm. okay it's human it's 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 that you, you know <laughs> yeah yeah i used to do some of that stuff as well um and who like who that's is it is that thing of being human although, although i did as you get older you start everything hurts and you start to wonder god did i do too much should i not have done but that's a different that's a different thing but but yeah i mean with the comedy i mean a lot of a lot of sometimes there's like woke humor for some for example and and i find i find nothing more boring than that because i just how boring any kind of virtue humor on the other side there is sometimes like that clap humor of the of the sort of the right or the anti-woke as well i find that a bit boring although i still love ricky gervais he does it a lot and mm. i just i just love ricky gervais so i can just sit and listen to him i don't i don't mind um but the idea that i would ever try and stop someone like, like you know, I get offended by some sort of like really woke humor or really right wing or whatever. But like, you know, I suppose there has to be a point, doesn't there? There has to be a point where somebody is saying something to a group of people um, that's just so bad. And we don't necessarily want in our society to encourage that. I don't I don't know. I don't, is there at that point? Do you think there's a point? I mean, did Lawrence Fox... Uh, for, I don't know if Brit, non, non-Brits will know about him, but obviously the guy who, who was talking about whether a female journalist was, was shaggable or whatever when he was supposed to be talking about, you know, the politics and stuff. Is that too, like, is that, should he be cancelled? Is that, what do you think? <laughs> I just think, sometimes I think that if aliens are going past in their UFOs past Earth right now and they're zoning in on our frequencies and they're watching half this crap, they're going to lock the doors to their UFOs and fly off outside of Andromeda. <laughs> That's what I think sometimes. The Lawrence Fox thing, um, he's clearly not a nice person. Am I going to get offended mm. that he said something misogynistic? Not, I'm, I, personally, I'm not going to get offended because I've got bigger fish to fry, you know, and I've got bigger issues going on in my personal life. Um, I don't think he should be enabled to like it's because it's not really professional to sit there and talk about if someone's shaggable or not i find the the strangest thing about lawrence fox is that richard iowadi from the it crowd is his brother-in-law i find that more baffling yes <laughs> yes although he recently came out in favor of what's his name the father Graham Ted, um, yep. yeah which shocked a lot of people i thought i thought it was brave of him to just my own opinion about Richard Ayoade. I thought, oh, well, you know, fair, fair on you, fair enough. The, Lawrence Fox, maybe that's what it is then, because Lawrence Fox started saying you're supposed to be the the free speech channel, and here I am just talking about a woman being shaggable, and I'm I'm cut off from it. And I wonder if that's an interesting route to go down. What you just said, because maybe instead of it being like, look, I don't like your political opinion, and you can't speak. That's cutting off someone's free speech. But surely a channel can just say, mate, you were just really unprofessional. This is a professional TV channel and you were incredibly unprofessional. And what I cannot think of a more unprofessional way you could have conducted that interview. We don't want you back. Is that then okay? Or, or would people say, no, that's still his free speech to be unprofessional? Well, I don't know, because the context is it's a, it's a GB News as a news show. You know, so yeah. you would expect that I wouldn't turn on the weather and expect the weatherman <laughs> to start like, you know, being offensive in some way. I'm just but then GB News is a lot of people giving their opinions. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Personally, because I wouldn't talk to Lawrence Fox. And when I read the news article about him saying that the first thought that came in my head and there are going to be people who don't like this was ironic that Lawrence Fox is talking about someone else being shaggable. Ironic to me, <laughs> you know, like. Like don't throw stones in glass houses, kind of thing. Um, that was my very that was like my real first thought about it. Like that's rich coming from you. 
Um, the most interesting thing about him is Rich Iwadi. <laughs> Yeah, an interesting insight into how his mind might think. It's mm. everything is framed around him and whether women would be attractive to him. And it was just so bizarre because I I don't think he's seen as uh, exactly a heartthrob or anything like that. <laughs> and it just showed that he, there's this just huge uh, disconnect between the reality and what must be going on in his brain. And I just wonder, would he like it if it was turned around on him, if a bunch of women were sitting around on a new show? Luke, say it was loose women and they're talking about the shaggability of Lawrence Fox. He he wouldn't like that, would he? I don't know. I no. I don't get bogged down too much in is something offensive. I just try and, because I'm older now, and I just want to get on with yeah. life and I want to get on with people, I just try and maintain, let's just be nice or do unto others as you do unto yourself. I think that's from the Bible, probably, but... <laughs> Well, it, it is worth stating, though, uh, that the woman to whom Lawrence Fox was was referring, Ava someone, mm. she is one of these people who is prone to using that phrase, he's not going to shag you, mate. Like, she, she, if, if somebody disagreed with her and agreed with a man or a woman or whatever, her sort of go-to reply is, he's not going to shag you, mate. And she did talk about shagging a lot. It doesn't mean that he's then right to do what he did. It just means they're both wrong. And I think some of her, the way that she explained her views before that, which was that like men don't need mental health. I, I didn't say it exactly like that, but I think oh. that was the implication. She's, she's a shock jock, just like Russell Brand is, mm. just like um, Lawrence Fox is. Uh, she's just like a left wing version of it. And we're more used to maybe a sort of more right wing crazy one, but she, she's also pretty out there still. He just, what he, I think what he did was ridiculous. But then you've got people at the BBC are all debating now, uh, just getting rid of GB News. Can we just cancel GB News because of this one incident on air that one of their guests was unprofessional? And they immediately, you know, they've gone and suspended their own presenter just for not interrupting Dan Wooten. So it seems to me like they actually handled it, you know, maybe not brilliantly in the moment, but they handled it okay. And the BBC, meanwhile, which which I like the BBC, I've been on the BBC and I've been on GB News, so I'm not totally against or mm. not biased. But, you know, we know that they harboured these P people for years, Jimmy Savile in particular. Yeah. And it's like, if we're going to cancel, like, because Dan Wooten smiled during what was an offensive, ugly scene, then the BBC should have been gone 20 years ago. But I do agree with that. I don't agree with... This is a bold thing to put on the internet. I don't agree with paying for a TV licence for the BBC when they harboured Savile no. for years. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, because you worked with the BBC yeah. on a documentary. And now, you know, you talk about cults, you talk about these famous uh, these famous figures who abuse their positions of power. Um, yeah. How, how does that... you to out me. Not about to out you, but how does that make you feel? Because you <laughs> have worked with the BBC. i of you, Andrew. <laughs> oh... Well, I've, here are some photos of you with Russell Brand. No, I've never met Russell. Um, I've met him like well, loads of times. I've got pictures on my Instagram. It's a bit embarrassing now. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, no, because it's the death of the author, isn't it? You know, I wouldn't be embarrassed if I was caught listening to, I don't even, I don't know. I don't know what, I, I don't like saying Michael Jackson because everyone says he was actually innocent. So, but whoever, if I was caught listening to a bad person, you, you know, you liked him, you didn't know about all this stuff and maybe you still find him funny. I, I, you know, you're allowed to secretly have your own thoughts and feelings, I think. Uh, the BBC, the thing is, it's it with me, I, I didn't get much experience with them. I made that exorcism documentary before I spoke to them first. They said they'd be interested in it mm -hmm. but they weren't you know it was my first real long documentary and they just weren't confident enough to uh invest in me or whatever um so i went and made it just with my friend david uh in, in argentina so we just we did it all budget you know 
our own we borrowed a camera borrowed bits and pieces and made it and it took two years of like bugging the bbc and saying please watch it to like every linkedin i just went to everybody at bbc.co.uk and was and they're like mate i'm the cleaner here like i don't i can't (laughs) help you and i was like no but someone you must have someone and eventually after two years someone watched it and and they loved it and it won festival awards it won best of the year 2018 it was uh so did well but I didn't get much experience with them. The experience I have had, you know, and I should, I, should, I have to be careful because I still want to make more things with them in the future. Yeah. I, I'm focusing on YouTube right now, but mm. uh, I mean, look, the BBC are not going to pay anywhere. Well, I don't know. They just don't, it doesn't pay one unless you're Gary Lineker, like one of the top presenters, you know, who gets millions a year or whatever mm. it is. Um, but they did, I was told by a lot of production companies at the time that if I was going to make more TV shows with them, I would have to be off screen because they would want to have a minority, somebody from a minority background on screen. And I was just like, look, I get what you're trying to do and all this stuff, but if if I'm bringing you a story as a journalist, I am absolutely doing it. There's absolutely no way in hell I'm going to pretend it was someone else just for the sake of your politics or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, that was that. But... You have a Jewish background. Does that not count as being a minority? I've read David Baddiel's Jews Don't Count. Does that not, <laughs> does that not count? That. David's become, I'd like to say a friend because we email from time to time. Oh, cool. Um, and, what, and one of my favorite things to have happened from, from the YouTube channel, because um, he came on a couple of times and that was great. And Jews Don't Count is just, it's a phenomenal book and it needed to be written, I think. Uh, and it's a really quick, quite easy read as mm. well. It's, and it's funny, he's funny. So, and it's, it's the play on words because Jews don't count as in accountancy, you know, counting money, but also that they are not important, they don't count. Um, but yeah, that that is the thing. And I, I, I it's a really difficult one because, I do know a lot of Jewish people. Badil himself, who grew up fairly impoverished, he he had a, um, I, I believe, quite quite a, at least a working class background, and he he got a scholarship to go to a, a good school. Actually, so there are a lot of Jewish people, despite the stereotypes, who who grew up really poor. Mm. My my dad grew up working class, uh, for example, and, and you know had a hard time of it for some time, I believe, um, but I didn't really. So I I, I feel bad going about being like I have suffered too, and it's like well. <laughs> You know, my great grandparents did and maybe my grandpa and we had a hard time and people say things like even on Twitter. I've had like I get like loads of things every day. I had a guy today shouting like all the Jews and the money and all this stuff. And and I was like, I I, I don't usually reply. But he said, look at it. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. Look at them all. And I was like, mate, I don't usually reply to these, but none of those people are Jewish. Elon Musk, the famous Jew. (laughs) It was just mad. And and again, Bill Gates, this like he's a Christian. Um, Jeff Bezos is not Jewish. And it just, just the maddest thing. And of course, he could have actually named some Jewish people for reasons we spoke about at the beginning. There are. There are also extremely wealthy um, people of Arabic origin and people of Asian origin as well who you can sort of go to and, and, and speak about. But the media, maybe, maybe, there, maybe there are some Jewish people in the media. I'm careful to say because I know that an algorithm will pick that up and think that I'm an anti-whatever <laughs> and, and, and have a go at you. So I've got to say it in the right way. I've, I'm so careful of the algorithms. Uh, so you do get stuff. I have had people saying horrible things to me over the years, but I, I, I don't think like, oh, you know, I need reparations because of my family history. You know, I, I, that's just not me. And so it's been okay. But after it happened to me about 50 or 60 times, being in a production meeting and them saying this about white, blah, 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 
despite me knowing at the time because I could check on something called the Diamond Diversity, which is the, it's a, like a PDF they release every year about diversity figures on British TV channels, and I could see that minorities were like way overrepresented on TV screens, mm. um, like like double, like more than any other like. Uh, kind of person it was minorities were super overrepresented um and i knew that and it was very upsetting because i just wanted to make these tv shows and i didn't have my youtube channel i didn't know i was earning minimum wage so i was desperate to make the next thing and i knew how well my last one had done so it was gutting every time we'd get to that point they'd be like oh we love the idea it's about like some bolivians who have a different law where they put people who commit adultery uh, make them stand in ant hills so the ants bite their ankles like mad stuff like that which i was really excited to make and it, it was just yeah but it's gonna have to be minority on screen so eventually i did and i felt so ashamed and so embarrassed but i was like well you know i am jewish i just said that once and this guy just started laughing and he said uh you know if i told you what i really thought of that i i you know you wouldn't like it and then that was it so oh yeah bit of a shame yeah oh <sighs> oh yeah but it's just people isn't it but uh, that's why I think it's a problem. I mean, it's it's not an open and shut case about the whole like diversity quotas and stuff like that because I understand that it needs to be fair. People want to grow up and look at people who look like themselves and be inspired by it. I do get that. I just think the problem is that once you start doing that and going down that route, it is a bit of an authoritarian measure. You're basically forcing rather than letting something happen naturally, you're forcing it. That's what governments do. So I respect that and that, that you, you do sometimes have to force a bit. But once you do that, there's always going to be other people going, well, ha hang on a minute, you know, because if I were Jewish and had grown up impoverished or whatever, or with a really difficult life and had more, then I would be really upset mm. by that whole thing. Yeah. So you do, and then you start to compare and then you find yourself sitting there. I had never thought of myself really as Jewish growing up so mm -hmm. much as just a white man. That's what I was, and I loved it, and I felt more assimilated. But the more talk there was about how every minority is this and every intersection of society, a woman who is this, and, and I do respect and I understand why it maybe has to happen in some quarters. But sometimes we adopt these ideas and we're scared to say, there are drawbacks, though. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we feel like like the, wearing the mask, right? I, I, you know, everyone wanted me to wear it. My fiance shouting at me because I didn't want to. I was making a scene in the airport because I was just like, I don't, I'm not wearing the thing. And I felt like, you know what? I don't mind wearing it because apparently it does help. That's what my friend who's a surgeon, a doctor said. So apparently it does help. Don't mind wearing it, providing that we can admit all of us that it's not nice having to wear it. Because I rather than have to be like, I love wearing my mask, I don't want to have to do that. Similarly, with diversity quotas, I wish we could sort of maybe have some of them and say, unfortunately, a lot of individuals are going to be badly treated from this, rather than the knee-jerk reaction of like, so what? They've had it better their whole life. It just doesn't help, creates more division, makes people not support the cause or whatever that cause is. So just I wish we could sometimes admit more that things are not black and white and that there's a lot of stuff we implement maybe for the greater good we don't even know and there are drawbacks there is a complete lack of nuance when it comes to having these conversations online everyone gets extreme you know with the mask debate or to vaccinate or not to vaccinate etc etc just i feel like the internet has bred more 
extremities i feel i feel that way with twitter in particular actually i do feel that twitter the algorithm kind of rewards people being extreme and it rewards people the quote tweet function i've never seen used in a positive way i used to use twitter i (laughs) I used to use twitter in my early 20s to quote tweet people to dunk on them it's the, the only time i've ever seen it used is to do that and then you're rewarded with likes and i kind of think it's a bit of a platform for bullying you know well, there is sometimes the quote tweet where people just write in capital letters, this, because they agree so much. <laughs> oh, that too, I suppose. I never used it for that, though. Yeah. But, but, you're, but you're right, it's rarely used to be nuanced. It's either like, I agree so much, I have to write in capital letters, this, I can't, I'm so excited, I can't even use other words outside of this and an arrow pointing down. I, that's how much I agree. Or look at this awful person, you know, they're, they're, it's not going to be like, I quite agree with this person but, and, and all of those things. Maybe it's just maybe it's just a human thing. I, I notice it with YouTube as well. Uh, I'm trying to bring in more nuance mm-hmm. because I've definitely had some audience capture. And it's not something you do consciously. I think it happens to you gradually over a period of years. And, you know, because all you're reading then are your comments. And most of those comments are quite extreme, telling you what an idiot you are for taking a nuanced stance. And gradually... It's not not like you go, oh, God, I better keep them, so I better change my stance. It's just like you're told you're an idiot over and over and over. So you start to, if not agree with them, you start to at least move that Overton window slightly towards where they are. Uh, you, you start to just go a little bit like, well, okay, they can't be insane. Maybe I'm – and then the people who are the other side, you're like, no, 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 I'm a bit more with these people now. I think it just happens, and it's so difficult. You get swept up in it. And I'm trying to introduce some more nuance to it. And I just get shouted at as like a a centrist dad or something. And I don't know if it's good for the YouTube algorithm to be like, here's both sides. And it's like, well, no one's going to, who's going to subscribe to you then? Like which side? Hopefully there are enough rational, moderate people who can see both sides. I think the most boring thing about anyone is if you know one of their political views and that gives you an insight into all of their political views. I think that's the most boring person you can speak to. I think it should always be like, oh, that's how you feel about um, abortion. Okay, that's interesting because you've, you're on the other side with this other thing. It's like, okay, now I can have an interesting conversation with someone. I know exactly what you mean, especially with a lot of the conservatives on YouTube. If you've heard one of their opinions, you can just like, it's kind of like a, bing- yeah. a bingo. It's like a little checkoff list. You know, you can just like check off, like they're going to feel this way about abortion and this way about trans rights or whatever. It's actually quite comical. I do personally believe that there are a lot of moderates out there, but they're just the silent majority because I do try to approach things with nuance and I've been doing YouTube for a few years and I have cultivated an audience who, when I see people like talking in my comment section, they're generally getting on and genuinely like um, actually discussing their viewpoints rather than name calling or shouting. And I'm actually quite grateful for that. I think my audience are very good in that way, but there is a lot of Mm. extremism online. There are a lot of extremists and it is hard to navigate, especially if you are a bit more on the center because people, people also think that, Whenever I think of the term centrist, I always remember um, Owen Jones, you know, the Guardian journalist. He wrote, yeah. he wrote an article once and the title, this was years ago, was Why Centrists Are the True Extremists. Oh, and then he, I and can't then, bear that guy. And then it got redacted and changed and he said, oh, well, I don't come up with the titles. Someone at The Guardian did that. I don't know if I believe that, but I just think it's so funny because um, I do think he's quite comical. Um 
Yeah, people seem to think that, well, if you're a centrist, that must mean that you just fall in the center. So when it comes to talking about the Holocaust, you're you're on the fence about the Holocaust. Yeah. No, who's on the fence about the Holocaust? The Holocaust is awful. Of course, you're going to get about three people, you know, out of a million who, well, that's quite gracious, actually. You're going to get three people out of a couple thousand who think that the Holocaust was fake or whatever. But centrism doesn't mean you fall in the middle. It means that sometimes yeah. or you... That, or that you're weak. Yeah, you agree sometimes a bit with the left and sometimes a little bit with the right. And it, I don't know, I, I don't feel like it should be such a a Voldemort term, you know? Yeah, well, it suggests it suggests that you're weak or boring and you don't really have a strong opinion. So I think there does have to be some sort of strong centrism. I, I don't know. I mean, it, sometimes there is, a, I, I've, I've read some articles about that, like this kind of, there, there is... There is a form of extreme centrism, but it's just never going to be like extreme left or extreme right or anything like that. But there are those people who are just like so aggressively that way. Mm. Um, but but th this is it. I, I get I get told on Twitter all the time, "Oh, you're a centrist, so you, so you must be. Um, you just don't care." It's what you're saying really about the Holocaust. Like you, oh, you must not care about this. It's like no, we're just as passionate as you are. We're extremely passionate about those things. But then there's also, you know. Do you want to change the world or do you want to show everyone how good you are? And I think I think some people, if they really had to look inside themselves, they wouldn't want to admit it, but they just want to shout about how good they are and they have no interest in converting people. When I started talking about Russell Brand, I I deliberately started talking about how funny he is, what an intelligent person he is, what an inspiration he's been to me as a YouTuber to see this guy who's amassed 6 million subscribers mm. and is so energetic and so brilliant at what he does, to have somebody who completely belies expectations by having this incredible uh, vocabulary. So I really went on about that because I know that the best way to maybe convince people is to show them that you're in their tribe. And it's like, I'm in your tribe, but I think what he's done, a lot of it, is probably quite bad. Yeah. And you might think there's a conspiracy and I'm open to that. Maybe there are conspiracies, but it's possible there's a conspiracy and he also did really, really bad stuff. Those things are not mutually exclusive. So that is, I mean, I, I interviewed someone recently on, on something called street epistemology. Um, first, there was a guy called Peter Bogosian I spoke to, and then there was Anthony Magnabosco. Big, big names, actually, people in street epistemology. Bogosian and Magnabosco, like these long names. Um, but they do street epistemology. The idea is you basically go up to somebody and you say, like, you know, you've got this extreme view. You believe in Mormonism. You think Joseph Smith came and gave you these two, like, tablets of new, the Third Testament, like, 100 years ago. Okay, how sure are you? And they say, I'm 10 out of 10. And all you want to do is say, what would it take? What new evidence would have to come forward for you to move from a 10 to a 9? That's all you should do because I think if you're trying to get someone from a 10 down to a 5 or down to a 0, I think that shows like an, an arrogance and a misunderstanding of how humans work. That's going to take like 10 years to do. Yeah. You're not going to do it in one conversation. So to come out and just be like, you guys are all wrong, this is the true thing and I'm a big lefty or a righty and you're so wrong. Like, who are you trying to convince? You're not convincing. I think you need to come out and say, hey, I do actually get the other side. I understand why they think these things. Immigration is a good example. I grew up just being very, very, very pro-immigration. I, I was an immigrant myself in several countries. My family were, blah, blah, blah. And so I would just, because I was a teenager or at university and I thought I was cool and liberal and all this stuff, I used to put like really like these posts I would see on Twitter. I remember one was, uh, you know, if you're... 
if you're worried an immigrant who doesn't speak your the language and has, doesn't have any friends and anything here can come over and take your job, what does that say about you and your job and that kind of thing? And I thought that was a really good argument because I was an 18-year-old idiot with no experience of the real world. Mm. And then years later, I can look back and be like, oh my God, what a what an elitist thing for me to think. What a bigoted thing. Like, of course, some people don't have access to the same education I was fortunate enough to get to. Of course, some people are worried that people from other countries might come over and change things for them, make things difficult for them, uh, undercut them with prices, take their jobs. I mean, that literally does happen. It doesn't mean there's not an over, overall net benefit for the mm. whole country uh, through immigration. But I think if you want to make that argument, you have to be able to say, like, I do understand why some people don't like it. It doesn't mean they're a different tribe. I hate them. They're idiot Trumpists and all these things. It means they're they're my brothers. They're my you know they're they're humans like me. If you cut them, they bleed. They 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 mean well. They're scared, and we need to talk to them about them being scared and listen to them. If you want to make that point for say immigration, so basically what I'm saying is people shouting just shouting that they're right and other people are wrong i think it's done more for themselves than for other people yeah i especially remember around 2016 the internet was really bad for that because we had brexit and then trump won and on youtube there was this and there's still you know there's there's still ramifications and remnants of it on youtube today but around 2016 it was particularly bad there was this entire culture war between SJWs and anti SJWs and it was people aren't going to like that I'm going to say this but I was on the anti SJW side because it was cooler to be because you had huge YouTubers like um H3H3 iDubs you had that like all those types of people on the anti side um and then you had people on the SJW side being cringe and literally going to events and screaming and it was it, it's like it's the push and pull factor because a moderate person is going to look at someone screaming in the street and be a bit like you know if they're screaming about politics be a bit like mm, you know recoil from it and then if you see someone on the other side well dressed like you know smartly presenting their arguments in a way that you can understand you're going to be pulled more towards that and it was a huge thing on the internet at the time and then you got sucked into it and then people don't really talk about this but there was the kind of anti-SJW to alt-right pipeline um, that I know a lot of people went down. It was kind of like you click on one SJW getting wrecked compilation, millions more oh, appear. Yeah. It's all Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. Before Jordan Peterson went off in the deep end, because I used to listen to Jordan Peterson. I quite liked his Bible. Yeah. I'm not a Christian, but I quite liked his Bible videos. I found them really interesting. Did he write, did he write a, he wrote a Bible? No, he had um, this video series about the... It's called The Psychological Significance of the Bible. So the story of like... Uh. Uh, who's that bloke? Jonah being eaten by the whale. What does the whale represent? The um, it represents the unconscious of your mind. I found that stuff really interesting. And then he went huh. off the deep end and started only eating cooked beef. So. He's he's really good on psychology, though, isn't he? Well, that was his training, and you know, and I could still listen. I could still listen to him talk purely about psychology and probably get mm. something out of it. I don't like when it bleeds into all this other stuff because he's like, I think he's with the Daily Wire now, and the Daily Wire have like mm. these awful adverts that come on YouTube, and it's a whole. It's interesting. It's it's interesting yeah. to kind well, of well, witness you know, it all. You gotta make your bed, Bucko. You gotta make your bloody bed. That's a really good impression if you practice that. <laughs> Yeah, I did practice it. And I, because I don't do impressions much, but I wish I, it's the one sort of party trick I wish I had and I don't. But 
he's got the same voice as a lot of people like um um kermit the frog has yeah. that voice bill gates has that voice here here at microsoft we're, we're trying to work on some he's got that is that sort of throat thing even ray romano from everybody loves raymond he's yeah. got a lower version of it well, mm. well you know it's like that kind of thing so uh, uh yeah make your make you just sort of do that and then you, you throw in a few like english englishisms like bloody which you don't expect from a canadian quite as make your bloody bed buckle <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought I thought he was great on on psychology. I absolutely agree with you. And some he, some unfortunately, some of the stuff he says on particularly on Twitter, he sort of frames it like he's this uh, Doctor Evil character. And there's stuff that he disagrees with, and I think he's probably right to disagree with it, or might be right. But then he'll he'll write like uh, he just writes prison, right? Which is like these people on the left uh, who are doing like trans stuff or whatever it might be, prison. And it's just like, come on, make make a good argument. You're brilliant at speaking. I want to hear. Maybe he's feeling like, you know, I've, I've said it so many times. I've done my argument. He's got, I mean, I get sh so much shit online from people, right? And and my following and is, is not even like uh, one one hundredth of what Jordan Peterson probably gets. So uh, maybe you just close off and you go, you know what? One I'm word. Not, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to do it on your like level anymore. Like you, I, I did that. I spent years uh, trying to make, coherent conversations and everybody just said oh you're right wing you're right wing. And right well now i can't be bothered anymore i'm just gonna say prison it's funny because i i, I now i think very differently to how i did when i when i was in 2016 um i now just think he's so he's so dramatic it's actually quite funny um he's always yeah this is awful to say, but he's always like crying about something like he cried about pinocchio or, or something i should I can laugh. My audience won't care that I'm laughing about that. He cried about a guitar solo, or maybe that's a meme. I'm not sure. Um, but I remember he went on There's a lot of crying. He yeah, he cries. He cries a lot. Um, Piers Morgan. Which it's funny though, because like the the side that says men should be men, like that's kind of what he's positioning and champion, and he's crying about a guitar solo. What was it like the Freebird guitar solo? I don't know. Um, but he went on Jordan Peterson's a funny one because he went on he went on Joe Rogan. He was talking about how he only eats cooked beef now, and you know that's like that's how we should be only eating cooked beef. Um, but he admitted he had a shot of apple cider vinegar, and it made yes. him feel let's say depressed for an entire week. And I just thought I just thought this is the guy that like so many young men are looking up to now, a guy that got defeated by a bit of apple cider vinegar. Did, did okay. you see that weird video about that? It was a really creepy video that some uh, animations guy made of the Pinocchio thing and of the apple cider thing. And it's scary no. as hell. But you got to, oh, I'm going to send it to you after. So I'm making a note about this. It's like amazing. And it sort of just shows the kind of descent into madness. Uh, madness. It is. Yeah, that he went through. I know it's so difficult though, because I, the only thing is, I wouldn't want people to sort of put him in like an Andrew Tate bracket. Because I think I've definitely heard him talking about, like he talks about incels and Piers Morgan, and he started crying again. But this is somebody who obviously sorry, I, I shouldn't he laugh. Says, <laughs> well, he said I think he's somebody who thinks crying and and being open about it is manly. And but I think if he thinks that, that's good. Quite a, it's it's vulnerable, but it's just maybe you know crying that incels exist i could kind of agree with but is he crying because he's on the side of piers morgan's a funny one as well because i don't think i think the sorry to interrupt you but i think piers morgan is playing a character i don't think he believes half the stuff that he does believe one of my friends rachel she's done a video on this person called pearl davis just purdy things yeah yeah 
I publicly, yeah. I publicly, I stay away from, there are a few people that I will stay away from talking about their Voldemort to be. Pearl, because I cannot stand that this is a thing that's going on because I don't think she believes half of what she says either. And I've met people like I'm that. I'm trying to get her on. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't be able to listen to it. It's too much for me. But she's been on, Rachel was telling me, she's been on Piers Morgan's show a few times, got lulled into a sense of false security. And then Piers Morgan recently had her on and just steamrolled her with this argument. I can't remember what it was about. But apparently Pearl was just taken aback and she couldn't really deal with it. Um, yeah, Piers Morgan's funny. Once I wrote an erotica about him and a sausage roll. That's really funny because I, I kept saying as an argument, you know, people were defending Russell Brand about what he may or may not have done. And I kept saying, just imagine like the stories that we do know are true, like that he went into the bathroom after a girl, a woman, uh, and while she was kneeling down, she like looked up and his crotch was in her face and like that kind of thing, you know. And people were like, oh, it's just part of the business. And so my sort of what I was saying was like, well, just imagine someone else. Imagine it's Piers Morgan following somebody into the toilet and getting his appendage out and yeah. putting it all over a woman's face like people would be shocked and and he would be immediately fired probably arrested i think that the thing with russell brand is whether you think he's handsome or not he's definitely very sexy he has the sex appeal Mm. he's a bit of a rock star and so he gets away with things but i don't think we should have different standards for why does he get to do it and someone like Piers doesn't as for Piers, i'm starting to find him more and more centrist i I used to find him a lunatic and now (laughs) i do i did see him have a go at that woman Mm. uh he talks very disparagingly of people like um, um, uh, Lawrence Fox and what he did. Piers also, we've got to remember, was um, the editor of The Mirror, where he was accused of um, making fake photos of the Iraq war or something like that. But uh, my understanding is that The Mirror is a bit of a lefty version of The Sun. So Mm. it's okay, it's sensationalist, which Piers is, but that was on the left. So if you actually look at his opinions, they often do come from a sort of traditional centre-left area or at least centrist uh he just doesn't like a lot of the modern uh or anything that's sort of very far one way and he he might be an extreme centrist maybe he's an example of a very extreme centrist <laughs> that's I'm sure, again i'm imagining people in the comments going what do you mean if you think he's a centrist you must be really right wing or something and i'm just i'm just not i've never voted right wing i've ne- never had any, any of these beliefs i'm really scared of of the right as I should be as as a Jew in particular. I, of course, I'm scared of that right, uh, mm. the far right and the far left. But I don't know, Piers, I, I find myself starting to find him uh, fairly reasonable sometimes. Have you seen that this Katie Hopkins is having a bit of a resurgence on Twitter? Actually. Uh, not Twitter, on oh, TikTok, because she's banned from Twitter. On TikTok, because she's been, she's now appealing... Um, She's appealing to the mass public because we're all dealing with a cost of living crisis. Things are objectively shite in this country. Unless I don't, unless you're in the top, top, top tax bracket, I don't know how people are living. I went to Tesco's, I bought six, like a few things, and it was sixteen quid or whatever. Yeah. She's now appealing to people in that fashion, yeah. um, talking about the cost of living crisis, and I'm seeing a lot of people saying, "Wow, I didn't think I'd ever agree with Katie Hopkins, but now I am." She's talking sense for once, and it's it's funny how oh fickle people can be if you just press on. And I see, I don't really believe that cancellation is a thing. I think that if you just press on and keep going, people will inevitably grow tired and forgive you or ignore you, but you can always get an audience. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I remember reading in John Ronson's The Psychopath Test, uh, one of my favourite books. John's one of my favourite guests I got on. I was really excited about that. Oh, lucky. Um, 
Oh, I was, it was, I got twice. He came on twice. One of them I got to do in person, which was phenomenal. And I got to go out and see him in America as well. And we hung out in Central Park and he showed me all his favorite place because he lives in New York. Yeah. Um, and so he wrote about, there's like a level of madness where like everyone's really interested. But if it goes a, like slightly beyond that, everybody just like turns off we're not interested mm. and i think it might have been david ike was referencing or 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 starkey or like someone maybe i can't remember who it was and it was like somebody who made, was like everyone was like oh my god look how mad they're becoming and then he went so mad and he turned up in like a public square trying to be jesus or something and nobody turned up like the press just were not interested it was just like oh that you know that guy's now just not interesting to us mm. so i don't know uh, I think you're right that people can't necessarily be cancelled. I thought this with Russell Brand as well. I was like, isn't that amazing? But then I was a bit surprised because like YouTube took his money away. And okay, he can still have a platform, but you know, he he, he could he, he was earning millions on that on that platform. He's not going to do it anymore if there's somewhere else he can earn it exclusively. But okay, no more YouTube anymore. His sponsors all pulled out, so he, he had all these sponsors. Which I say to people who are like big Russell Brand, you know, the conspiracy theorists. I'm always like, well. He's got like these mainstream sponsors. The guy was in Minions last year. He's not like the alt media. The guy is BBC. He's Radio 4. He's the face of those things. He's a Hollywood star from forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, this this is, you know, not that guy. He just isn't. Um, but, you know, it, it. what was my point here? Just about something. What was I saying? Well, I don't know. before you remember your point, I'm glad that you brought that yeah. up because I have... Um... People like it's been a very known thing on my channel that I loved Russell Brand and I loved him for a long time. Um, I didn't hear favorable things about him earlier this year from some. I said I've got friends in the comedy circuit, you know, and there's certain yeah. open secrets. So I've had a few months of coming like it sounds so melodramatic but in a way coming to terms with it and deciding i'm not going to support this guy anymore and doing it quietly not causing a fuss like i quietly unfollowed him from all the platforms um earlier this year because of it because i couldn't um it doesn't matter how funny i think a person is if there are these bad rumors about them then you know it, it doesn't matter if i yeah. like them but the <laughs> the parroting of oh it's because he's anti-mainstream media has been killing me for the past week and hatry hatry who i mentioned before on his podcast he did a few episodes uh podcast episodes about russell brand and they looked on russell brand's rumble and the guy was getting maybe like hundred thousand couple hundred thousand views per stream or video or whatever it was on, on that site and it's like yeah this is who the main this is who the illuminati are worried about this guy who's not even and if you look on his youtube channel he was rarely pulling in a million views on his uh, previous videos mm. but since this has happened he's now had like over a million views on every single video that's come out so it's like so and <laughs> i was such andrew i was such a conspiracy theorist in my teenage years my audience know this so I'm, I'm allowed to say this i spent my teenage years on the david ike forums i loved it like like uh the... sean loves that our friend sean I know. Atwood, <laughs> I know. he Sh loves it sean and i have had loads of conversations about this privately i loved the david Knight forums like the the crazier theories the better not the stuff that's i don't like i don't like it when it veers into anti-semitism and all that stuff i just like it to be aliens quite pure like quite purists in that regard um so like as a true conspiracy theorist to see people thinking the illuminati are after russell brand 
Like the guy who did, you're right, he did the Minions last year. He did Death on the Nile in 2021. He's worth at least 20 million. He dated, it's all coming out now because I've been thinking about this all day. He dated Jemima Khan, who is the sister of Zach Goldsmith, the Tory MP. Jemima Khan herself is worth 100 million. Just Google Russell Brand, Jemima Khan, masseuse. Go- like Google it, you know, for anyone who says, why don't they go to the police? It's this guy, yes. he has a three million pound house. got a restraining house. order or something against the woman. The, the, yeah, a woman accused them. The police didn't bother checking it. And then it somehow, you know, because certain people have a lot of money, I guess, it got turned around on her. So, you This know. is why, you know, you know, we were talking at the beginning about cults and words that we use. And I think one of the reasons we use words and terms and things is because we don't want to actually think about, uh, to think for ourselves. We don't want to have to actually think. And there are all sorts of words that we use and a lot of people defending russell brand right now and the same when they're defending let's say hugh edwards that was in the culture mm-hmm. wars it was the other side each side has defended each other. and we we kept hearing trial by media and, tr- and it's an interesting point so trial by media was initially trial by television it was first mentioned about um uh, i think it was frost the the american news anchor or whatever news uh interviewer um and it was just this concern that somebody being interviewed by him on TV, this would prejudice a jury or whatever it might be. But we don't really think about what it means when we say trial by media. And it just sounds good, so we don't think about it. Trial by media, trial by let's stop. Oh, it's just the media. And people were then saying, look, every newspaper on the front page was mentioning Russell Brand. Every single one, there must be collusion. They must all be together in on some sort of conspiracy. And it's a trial by media. And it's like, firstly, like, well, obviously, like, it, would be v- it would be really weird if you were the editor of, like, The Mirror, The Sun, The Times, and, like, your journalists are like, should we... Um, put the Russell Brand story on the front page? Nah. Why not? Hmm. Um, it will look like collusion. I don't know. Like, obviously, that's the one that needs to be on the front page because that's your job as a new, you know, to bring the news to people. But the media, what people forget about, because it's gotten things wrong so many times, because the media is not a thing, it's like millions of people who get things wrong because people are fallible. But the media is there to to bring these things to light, to hold the elites to, um, hold, to accountability, mm. you know? And so Russell Brand is as elite and mainstream and wealthy and powerful as it gets. There, is, there are very few people with more of any of those categories of power than Russell Brand. Um, as you say with this whole, like, that whole uh, masseuse thing, if the media don't get involved, nothing happens. Mm. So Bill Cosby... That was the media. Jeffrey Epstein, media. Weinstein, uh, Jimmy Savile, ha- Harvey Weinstein as well. Me, massively the media. There's no way Weinstein would have seen the inside of a prison if it wasn't for the media. Jimmy Savile, unfortunately, you know, he died before being brought to justice, mm. but that was all the media. The police don't have the funds. They don't have the inclination. They're just sat in an office looking at like a million other crimes that are happening every day. They're not like, oh, let's go and get Russell. Because why would they? Mm. The media is essential. And we forget that that's the whole point of the media. So when people say trial by media, it's not a trial by media because he's not going to prison. He's not having his freedom stripped of him. He's able. He's at large. He's currently earning loads and loads of money still, nowhere near as much, on Rumble. I don't agree that YouTube should have taken his ability to earn away before due process. Mm. But we're waiting to see if after an investigation, if there's going to be a court and a trial. And the moment if he gets arrested, the moment he gets arrested, the media has a blanket silence. They're no longer legally allowed to comment on any of it so that the jury not be influenced by it so that we don't have a trial by media. 
So, and yes, you can say yes, but they're going to remember all of the press from a year ago. And I just sort of feel like, well, that is the bad side of the trial by media. Unfortunately, it's going to influence people and yeah. it isn't due process necessarily. But we do have four years of top journalists at the Times and Channel 4 uh, and now 60 Minutes Australia and several other places doing huge investigations into him. And I think that's enough to at least say something not right has gone on here. It's funny that you mentioned YouTube and the monetization as well. Sorry, I'm always fidgeting because like my ADHD, Me I can't too. help it. I'm always like, Ugh. Um, everything hurts as well. Yeah, YouTube, YouTube historically don't do anything unless they're getting bad press. So them taking away his monetization would have been a knee jerk reaction. Um, there was a YouTuber called Anision and people were complaining. I don't know if you have you ever heard of him. Oh yeah, 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 people, yeah. Because I had Chris Hansen on. Oh Chris really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny because people have. Um, I've done loads of videos on Nissan because I think like it's it, it's it's a car crash. The guy's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for years people were complaining about him and his behaviour and how he was, you know, finding. Well, he found his partner, his current married partner, through his fan base when the partner was was young, technically legal, but uh. Um, people complained about this for years and YouTube didn't do anything until Discovery Plus made a documentary about him and then they revoked monetization. They did the same with James Charles and Shane Dawson, I think, when they had massive uh. dramas over the pandemic. I think James James Charles, it's bizarre. He's absolutely fine now. Um, people have, people, a lot of people don't care that he mm. admitted that he was texting minors. Um yeah, so people, oh. the people that are upset with YouTube taking away Russell Brand's monetization, honestly, I, I've said this about Philip Schofield, actually. Uh, give it six months, Philip Schofield's probably going to be back on TV. And give it a few months, Russell Brand will probably get his money back because YouTube, I don't know. <laughs> well, if they've demonetized him, they're not running ads anymore. So I don't know if you can get it, but you can get it monetized again. They, his yeah, channel. They, they can give it, they <clears> can <throat> give it back. And, you know, once it all dies down, because he's gone back to posting as normal. You know, I saw he did one yeah. video after the fact and it's it's funny because i was considering you know i did a main channel video about philip schofield because i felt quite strongly about that situation do i do something about russell brand but then seeing all the support that he was getting i personally felt that nah no nah, i can't I, i'm not going to uh, invite in agro my own audience i know they'd be fine but i didn't want to invite in agro when it seems like it seems the support for him across like Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. I've seen a lot of it on Facebook. Is um, I'm not sticking my neck out for that one. Sorry, guys. Mm. I I did. I've been getting death threats from from it. I've never had such. This an is angry what reaction. I mean. This is what I mean. And also, not to play the woman card, but as a woman, I feel I feel like I would really get some bad reactions. You know, I I've yeah, I've read the 100%. room, and I'm not I'm not entering that room. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. I, 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 yeah, it's, it is horrible. The way people come down on... I mean, one, one example of that, we don't have to go into it just because it is such murky ground, ground but the whole trans, the, the sort of gender wars, so to speak. Whatever you think of it, an interesting facet is that when men are gender critical, they don't get... I mean, apart from... I always forget his name. I said it before, the IT crowd guy. Which, uh, um, Graham Lennon. Yeah, apart from him... There are tons of men who have spoken out against it in a gender critical way who have not had such a hard time of things. And when women have done it, they get 
absolutely like killed for it. They're mm. getting absolutely killed. Like that's just my anecdotal experience of it. People watching might disagree with how that's been. And that, that's not saying one side or the other is right or anything like that. It's just saying like women who speak out. I mean, JK Rowling has not said anything like what a lot of men have said, I, I think. So yeah, women get a, a tough time. Graham Lennon, he's quite a funny one though because he really went off the deep end and he was posting on he was posting on Mumsnet of all places. And sometimes I just think this reality in this world is so funny. Graham Lennon, I, the IT crowd is one of my favourite comedies of all time, and he's posting on Mumsnet uh, trying to get support for his anti-trans views. And it's just like it's all a circus, really. I know. You know what though? I've got a controversial thing to say. I I just never enjoyed the IT crowd. What? I like everyone in it. I like everyone in it and I just I don't find it even remotely funny. I just I never did everything about I'm so and I upset love that that I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I love Richard Iowodi. I love Matt Berry. I love is uh, what's his name Chris Morris is it? Is that his yeah. name? These are just top top people and I just I cannot even watch it for a minute without I I just hate it. So that's my controversial f- opinion on the trans debate. That's the worst thing I've heard in at least a week. (laughs) I'm so sorry for letting you down. I was going to say, actually, there's two things that I want to mention. They're both about cults, I suppose. So Russell Brand as well in particular. When When I was younger, I mean, I loved the guy. I thought if I could talk to him and talk about my problems, maybe he can help me some way because he has this this air about him that kind of draws you mm. in if you're like that way inclined. And, you know, and I've met him, I've met him loads of times um, and spoken to him and he's always, he was always lovely and whatever, but he's not a messiah. He's not a savior. He likes to play up the messiah complex that he has. And the last time I went to one of his gigs, it was a few years ago, but it was, um, I think, after the first or second lockdown. And I went to this gig and it was like, it was like the veil had been lifted. The rose tinted glasses had been lifted because I was seeing the way that his fans, because in the intermissions of his shows, people will go up to him, talk to him. And I was seeing the reverent way that they were looking at him in their eyes, the way that they were just like... You know, they thought this is a person who if I tell him my problems, he's going to be able to fix it. And I was really taken Mm. aback by it. And I was like, you know, because six years ago, that would have been me. And so the kind of detachment for me started even then. I kind of knew I'm not going to see him at another gig anymore because I feel like I've outgrown it. You know, I don't need to look to him for moral advice. I can find my own path kind of thing. And it's funny because it is such a, if he wanted to be a cult leader, I think he could. Him and his... um. Him and his wife have been doing these like wellness retreat things where I think you do yoga for the weekend and it costs like thousands of pounds to join. And he could so easily be a cult leader because he has that attraction about him. And it's quite, yeah, it was quite funny to see it and see it for what it is. I think he is a cult leader. Yeah. I think uh, there's, again, one of of my favorite books is, is, is Amanda Montel's Cultish. And she's a linguist um, and her dad was in a cult. And so she writes really well about cults and the things that make make cults. And I think sometimes we have um, quite a limited idea of what a cult can be. We like, again, we don't like uncertainty and we like to say, that's a cult, Heaven's Gate, um, Jonestown, uh, mm. Scientology, Nixium. These are, those are cults and everything else is not a cult. And that's just, again, it's not how the world 
works. There are many, many different identifiers of cults and all of them are on a spectrum. There's nothing that's like a light switch, you know, is something hierarchical, for example, is there a hierarchy where there where people are, you know, revere people who are higher up? Well, that can speak about that can be loads of things. Do you have to pay to move up those levels? Well, that can be a lot of different things. Um, is it hard to leave? Do you feel a social pressure to stay? Mm. I mean, we could be talking about a book club, you know, we could be talking about so many different kinds of communities and cults and things. So I think I mean, her, her advice to not be in a cultish situation, which is like finding like, I can't leave. I have no social life outside of this place. They're being a bit mean to me now. They're putting pressure on me to read more books quicker or whatever it might be, is to make sure you join many different culty kinds of things rather mm. than just move away from it. Because then you've got like five different communities you're in. Like I'm in the book club. I'm in the the, the Jumba Juice place. I'm in like, oh, I go to church, I go to this and that. And you've got like loads of different things. So you're not reliant on one and it's much easier to leave that one. Um, but just with that in mind, that sort of out of 10. So Scientology might be a 10 out of 10 cult. And Russell Brand, as a, I mean, I think all YouTubers are cults to an extent. Um, I did a creator course like a year and a half ago before my channel grew. My channel had like 3,000 subscribers a year and a half ago. It's now got 250,000. And a year and a half ago, I did a course, creators, YouTube creators or something like that. It cost a couple of hundred dollars. And I don't know if it was actually the course or it might've just been a coincidence I did it and that's when it was growing the channel. It started to take off. But I remember that a lot of the lessons were things like uh, non-believers. So you have to sort of talk about people who are against you. You know, you always hear about these podcast wars and, oh, this this podcast has said a horrible thing. So you choose a side. Uh, rituals, um, you know, people say, hey, you know, my podcast was called On the Edge with Andrew Gold. It's now just called Andrew Gold. But, I just, you know, you're on the edge with uh, Scientology today or something. Say those things. Uh, icons, like look at my lights. These mm. are icons. These are all quite culty things. And nobody um, exploits them better than Russell Brand. He, he's so handsy. The hands yep, are incredible. Yeah, yep. everywhere. He's he's hypnotizing people to follow him with his hands. He's talking about the non-believers. His whole channel is based around non-believers. Mm. His whole look, everything is icons. It's rituals. Stay free, be free, or whatever whatever it is. He is completely bought into the cult leader messianic complex. Um, and I would say that uh, the way people have given me death threats just for talking about it, mm. just for saying, "Hey, I, I still like the guy, but I think he probably did these things." That to me, that suggests maybe not out of 10 out of 10, but it suggests a cult. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you're right. You mentioned earlier uh, John Ronson. And when we mm. were talking about how people in power, you know, in the government, they're probably really boring people. Have you ever heard John Ronson speak about the time that he went to Bohemian Grove of Alex Jones? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that was in his book, um, Them, I think. I think so. And I think, I think I've got that. And just how he's at Bohemian Grove of Alex Jones. Everyone's wearing whatever they're wearing, like kind of like the, is it like, I don't want to say white hoods because that's got really bad connotations, but everyone's wearing like hooded robes or whatever. Hoodies. Yeah. Oh. And, and like there's the big owl and they're doing the ritual sacrifice. And he had this, John Ronson himself, he said he had a moment of realization where he realized that like everyone around him was buying into this and believing it. Um, and also Alex Jones, who he'd gone with, was freaking out and thinking that they were all going to burn. And so John Ronson, he said he had this moment of just realizing he was the only sane person in the entire place and it really freaked him out. I think that's so funny. 
That's great. That is great. I would start thinking, God, maybe I'm insane then. Like, is is it more likely that I'm the only insane one out of a hundred people? Maybe I'm sorry that I'm the only sane one. I don't know. But that's that. Those are the situations John gets himself into. I think. I think he likes to be the sane person in a room full of. Yeah. What did he say to me? I've. Uh, he was when he so he came on the other uh, the other week on on the show and I I I took I cut a line. It was his first line. Uh, to use in a trailer to show TV channels and stuff. And it was just him. So I said, tell me this story. And he said, well, I've been hanging out with a very politically correct version of the Ku Klux Klan. And I just found that hysterical. Just like it's the most John Ronson line ever, a politically correct version of them. I found that really, really funny. And it's just it typifies the way John talks about these really extreme, crazy things. I find that so interesting to be around people where you don't necessarily believe what they're you know what they believe but interacting with such diverse people especially because i love probably shouldn't say the word crazy but i do love crazy things i love ufo hunting and i love you know the druids that go to stonehenge and all the stuff about stonehenge and i find that stuff really enjoyable didn't you go ufo hunting for one of your documentaries yeah in argentina uh this was like the second or third thing i'd ever done and it was like a five minute video in the end but like five minute or seven minutes seven minute videos like hours and hours of footage that you have to edit like for which is mad now i'm on youtube i just like talk for a live stream for hours and it's like internet have that whereas that was like hours and hours and days and days we had to go so we went to this place called capilla del monte uh chapel of the mountain i suppose or something like that and uh we we there's a there's a mountain there that sort of got burnt or something in the 80s and it's just stayed like burnt or i don't even know what's happened with it but the assumption by everybody is that it's because there were aliens there and for some reason aliens left like a black mark on the hill um so you know i went to the museums there i went to speak to some of the alien hunters and all these things and we went and camped out at like 2 a.m we climbed a mountain there were like me and the two alien hunter people and they had like four people who came with anyway it's just so much of this stuff overlaps with vague new age beliefy kinds of things so there was yeah. obviously while we were on the mountaintop a lot of guitar playing and sort of kumbaya and people wearing really hippie clothes and those kinds of things and i thought i don't know why how is this related to the prospect there might be aliens from the fifth dimension that's what they were telling me uh who come from beneath the earth and come out at night and eventually they sort of were pointing and they were all going oh my god the alien you know and it was like <laughs> car headlights in the distance that's what i thought you know but it was it was a really beautiful time they were all so nice to me and there was this really lovely experience i had an encounter with the woman who runs the ufo center there called luz lopez and she's actually from colombia um and colombia is really really far from argentina mm. it's like ages it's like england to pakistan that's like people don't realize for some reason like north to south on the map doesn't seem as far as west to east but it's really really far um but she for some reason was going through some difficult time in colombia she had depression or something like that so she decided to have a go do a fast so Mm. she had like nine days of fasting i don't know exactly how she did it but i just know like that she was very weak by the end of it and she fell into a sort of hallucination and she dreamed uh, a shape into being and she drew the shape down and then a friend of hers said you know what that is that shape that is capicia del monte on the map you've got to go there so you've got to go to argentina so she like hikes down or hitchhike i don't know how she got down from colombia down to argentina like you're going over mountains and crazy stuff like that goes to capicia del monte 
falls in love with the guy who runs the museum, Jorge Lopez, and becomes like the museum woman with him. And I didn't even realize any of this. She was showing me we're filming and she's showing me the museum. And I didn't know about the husband, anything like that. And she just kept talking about this guy, Jorge, Jorge Lopez. Oh, and he's such a great guy. And I didn't know about the relationship or anything. So eventually I sort of went, did you... Did you have like something with Jorge? And she told me the whole story. And she said, the aliens now come and they visit with news of Jorge because Jorge unfortunately died. Oh. And it's very, very sad. It's just so sad to see her in this little museum so far from home, just on her own in this little alien place. But she's sort of comforted mm. by what she believes are aliens coming to visit her and tell her about Jorge and give her news and things. The sweetest little woman out, out there. And just, I don't know. I just thought like... There's part of me going, this is so ridiculous and bonkers and stupid. And there's another part going, what a sweet, lovely woman. Isn't this what humanity is about? Like humans are supposed to believe in ridiculous, crazy things and to to get something from it. She needed to believe in that. And so I thought it was quite beautiful. Yeah. And there's an element there of just letting people live. You know, if they yeah. seek comfort and they're not hurting anyone else and it's belief in aliens. So it's not belief in anything that's inherently harmful to other people. I just think, yeah. yeah, allow it. It's fine. Yeah, I think so. I think it's fine. Uh, it was, it was, it was sweet. The problem is like all the new agey shops there uh, mm. that sort of convince people to you know fork over their cash and stuff. But I don't know. Oh yeah, buy these crystals, align your yeah. chakras, all that kind of stuff. See, I don't, I don't go for that kind of stuff. I've never been into spirituality. I've, I'm just a no, cut no, no, no. and dry aliens were out there somewhere maybe they've been here i'm not convinced yeah. anymore that they did the pyramids because i educated myself about ancient egypt so uh yeah i don't know enough about that i just know you know gwyneth paltrow seems pretty mad she's an interesting one there's someone who could be a cult leader with her what's yeah. it? is it is it goop or is it gloop goop no it's goop goop oh is it goop yeah. Yeah, she's I mean she's she's just one of those isn't she? you know uh, there's that other guy who was in Rec Room for a Dream and I always forget his name as well. Jared Leto. Sort of looking... Yeah. Yeah, there's him, there's Gwyneth, there's Tom Cruise, there's Russell Brand. These are just like people who believe their own hype maybe and also have crazy ideas. What do you think about Tom Cruise because you interview a lot of ex-scientologists? Yeah, he must have seen some of the videos because those have gone crazy over the years and I've done like hundreds of them and some of them mm. have gotten like well over a million views and they've just got like big pictures of him there. And I do sometimes wonder like, because even Tom Cruise, right? We don't even, we don't think about this. We imagine celebrities somehow live on like another planet, but he like, you know, presumably has a sofa or a bed or mm. a chair and a laptop and goes on YouTube and types his own name and sees stuff. So he must have seen some of it. And it's such a difficult one because he's so charming but this is the same with Russell Brand, you know, and he's so charming that if I saw him in real life, I, I'm sure part of me would want to get along with him and want him and, and say, oh, Tom, sorry, I didn't mean to say all the things I've said about you. But I think he's a true believer. I don't think he's like in Scientology and doesn't care or whatever. I think he really believes in Scientology. It's very difficult to explain what that means to believe in Scientology, though, because it's not like, you know, if you think of a Christian who believes in Christianity, you're talking about the sort of New Testament god and jesus and stuff with scientology it's not very clear like you're supposed to go quite far into scientology before you even hear the whole origin story about yeah. lord xenu the uh, galactic warlord but again people make the mistake of thinking he's like their jesus but he's the evil one he's the bad guy xenu he 
threw people in a volcano mm. so there's no like god there's no like good guy uh all there is is this idea that we've all been brainwashed to believe in the traditional religions uh by aliens and actually the real religion is scientology and it's like well what is it i don't even know what this thing is and it seems to be some sort of vague belief centered around um you control what happens in your life you pulled it in they say you pull it in anything that happens to you including what happened to the victims of danny masterson the actor from that 70s show he's just mm. gone to prison for life is your own fault is something you did um to make that happen and I think that's really appealing in, in most cults um, because people feel out of control. Again, it's going back to that, what we talked about with conspiracy theories. Nobody likes uncertainty. We don't like to feel like we're out of control. And Scientology says to these people who feel vulnerable and, ah, what's going on? Scientology says, you know, if you follow us, you're going to feel much more in control of everything in your life and you'll realize you're in control of everything and you can help to convert the rest of the world and make them, uh, you know, cure the reactive mind, they say. Mm -hmm. So that's what they believe. Tom Cruise is basically the head of it. He's donated apparently millions and millions to it. Um, his his movies are basically adverts for Scientology because they all show him saving the world as some sort of alien or just a superhero kind of thing. Um, and there are a lot of parallels between many of his films and Scientology. So it's mm -hmm. basically propaganda for Scientology when you go to watch Mission Impossible um, and stuff like that. Um and there are countless abuses that go on in Scientology. And he's either unaware or more likely he thinks there's a greater good and he thinks he's helping to clear the planet of something and some people are going to be hurt because he's best friends with the leader, David Miscavige. Yeah. And David Miscavige, uh, we know, like just goes around punching people. He just punches like people who work for him. He'll just be around to punch them and make them run around a tree for like a whole day. He puts them in something called the hole. I was going to say the stuff. hole, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. And Cruz must know about that. So the only thing we can think is that he, he's a real true believer and he thinks it's for the greater good. It's, it's, he's too far in now. He's like spent his whole life in this thing to now come out and say like, actually, I gave it some thinking and I realized it's, it's horrible. I, I, I don't think he's ever going to leave it, unfortunately. Did they find out where David Miscavige's wife is? Yeah, so Shelley Miscavige, it is believed is... Uh, so this was brought about because, because Leah Remini, the actress from King of Queens, if mm. anyone's seen that, she asked, and this, this was part of why Leah left she was friendly with Shelley and she was at the, I think it was at one of Tom's weddings. And she said, hey, where's Shelley? And somebody says, you don't have the fucking rank to ask about, ask about that. And she was like, okay, I'm out of here. Mm. That was like the straw that broke the camel's back for her. Um, but like, where is she? And that became a big thing. It became a Twitter hashtag. And I think it's, it's not quite the mystery people say it is. I think mm. my, my understanding is she is in a sort of bunker somewhere in California. We don't know if she's being kept against her will but it's just as likely she's she's there because she believes like she's should be there. David Miscavige apparently started a relationship with his secretary and around the same time she went missing Shelley. But it is believed she's been demoted for, I don't know, asking the wrong question or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's a shame because she was often the one who would stop his violence a little bit. Apparently she was sort of a slightly more rational voice when he was doing these things. At the same time, 
I'm wary of people saying, where is Shelley and sort of making a martyr out of her? Because you've got to remember, this is somebody who was the wife of the, the, the leader, you know, the church leader, the Church of Scientology, and who watched countless horrible things happen and was apparently quite a feisty or is a feisty character herself. But she's supposed to be in a bunker now somewhere, hidden from the world and doing her Scientology work, which usually involves like cleaning a lot from what I can gather. It's just like clean everything and make sure it's clean and then keep... Um, admitting things that you didn't do to one another and that's what they do that sounds a bit like have you ever heard of um there's a specific school that got closed down in america called the eland school and it's you know i don't know the term for it but paris hilton went through this when parents all decide they can't deal with their kids and their kids, they'll arrange for their children to get kidnapped in the middle of the night and taken to a school in the middle of a forest. And have you heard, and I don't know the specific term for it, um, but Paris Hilton went through it. Um, It's kind of like, and there was this one called- It's like a military, sort of almost like a military, like a school went, because she's been misbehaving. So they get her kidnapped and taken to the school. Yeah, so you go for a traumatized experience to begin with because the the kids think that they actually are being kidnapped and you're placed in the middle of the wilderness and this Elan school, I think it was in the middle of these woods in America and there were there was this system in place where you had to move up in the ranks to be able to ultimately leave the school, you know, though but a lot of people who graduated wow. from the school ended up working back at the school and wow. so I keep I'm thinking of the word strength for some reason like the, like the uh the older students were the strengths and you weren't allowed to look them in the eye you weren't allowed to talk unless spoken to you weren't allowed to do anything and there was a lot of um ratting each other out for things that other people may or may or not have done if you don't contribute to that if you don't say I saw that person doing a sin for example um then mm. you get beaten up the like leaders of this school were making the kids have boxing matches with each other. And we're talking like children, like, you know, 10 years old to like 18 or whatever. Um, but these types of, I don't even want to say schools, but these types of facilities were quite common in America. And Elan was a very famous one that got shut down and people didn't believe that it was going on for the longest time because, you know, when the parents would ring the children, the children would have to say, yeah, everything's fine. Otherwise the phones would hang up and they'd get beaten. That's what it sounds like with Scientology. Mm. Well, that sounds, what what you've just described is like cult 101. That's so culty. One of the main things, again, like making each other like um, tell on one another. That that is just so culty. It's really Stasi-like as well. The Stasi used to like put um, pornography in the mailboxes of, of people and then sort of make one another tell on one another. And they would even get their own staff to attend premieres of pornographic films at cinemas so they could picture them there so that if if anything ever happened they could say like well look at you here you are at at some sort of pornographic place just that the nature of having to tell on one another Mm. that elon school sounds really fascinating and and horrible but um yeah very 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 culty in scientology like science scientology has been sort of copied you know nixium was the one in the last few years they like stole so many scientology ideas um from them but it's Mm. just it's just basic cult manipulation and the idea of creating dirt to have on one another as well reminds me of um of course he he says that this didn't actually happen but reminds me of the david cameron and the pig the dead pig situation you know and the theory that these uh 
these was he in the Bullingdon boys they create yeah. scenarios where they will have awful dirt on each other to strengthen those bonds so when they go further in the workplace and government or whatever they will have each other's backs more supposedly uh, well that's interesting Dan Wooten was also doing that allegedly that's what he's alleged to have done when he was um, uh, by getting pictures of of men he knew with adult entertainers to, to use against them well, that's what Epstein was doing on Epstein's Island. He had yeah. he had microphones and cameras everywhere. He would get government officials or people in politics over to his island and have them film doing naughty things. But psychopaths. Yeah, but none of that footage has ever been released. Which because I've got some conspiracy theories about Jeffrey Epstein, but I won't get into them too much. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your channel will be taken down immediately. So. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on. People can find you on what? Instagram, Twitter, just, YouTube. What's your podcast called now? Is yeah. it On The Edge or is it just Andrew Gold? Just Andrew Gold and all all those things. Just don't get the singer. There's a singer with my name. So he's, if he's like bearded and older looking than me, then then that's not me. So just, yeah, Andrew Gold, wherever, and, and come and follow. Thank you so much. And for everyone else, hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. I make new podcasts whenever I feel like it. Follow me on Spotify and iTunes. Give me five stars on Spotify. And I'll see you all next time. Bye.